episode 172 with my dear friend Hotshot Scott and I got huge news. This is the this is the New Year's edition. This is the feel good edition after oh. that wonderful Bears Seahawks game. This is the feel good <laughs> edition of Mitch Unfiltered and I've got huge breaking news for you hotshot i can't wait to hear it i mean after another glorious snow-covered week means oh. another week of people fighting on delta flights and beating the shit out of each other at nfl games happy holidays everyone there we're anybody, back was there anybody beating the shit out of each other at the seahawks game on sunday or was that just the bears beating the shit out of the seahawks which one well was i think you'd have to actually give a shit about whether oh, your yeah. team wins or loses in yeah. order to fight typically yeah. so i think it was a lot of complacency oh, throughout that crowd yeah. Oh, I'm glad Fine. I wasn't there on Sunday. That's for sure. And I don't say that very often, but there was there's Woo. nothing about that game that I missed. But I've got huge news, huge Good. breaking news. Pete Davidson has been seen driving around L.A. and Beverly Hills during the holidays in Kim Kardashian's Rolls Royce, stopping at gas stations for cigarettes. <laughs> I don't know how he does it. I don't know. He constantly gets... These women who are gorgeous and successful and how does it, I, I don't know. I have no answers. Well, I, I don't even want the answer to that question because I don't know that any of us can provide the answer to that question. Okay. But you have a shot at providing the answer to a question. I actually asked Joe Fan on one of the note tables. I'd like to get your opinion because you're you got your finger on the pulse of this. That's right. Why are we so fascinated with Pete Davidson's dating life. Pete Davidson is a is a talented, funny guy. He's on Saturday Night Live. He's not George Clooney. He's not he's not Brad Pitt. I mean, he's not huge, huge, huge. And yet, whenever Pete Davidson does anything out there with a woman, it's like front page news everywhere. Pete Davidson seeing this for Pete Davidson, Ariana Grande, <laughs> Pete Davidson. And Ken, why do we care so much about Pete Davidson? Explain that to me, please. I think you just explained it. He's not classically handsome. He's not Clooney or one of those guys. And so people are just like scratching their heads. Oh. How does Pete Davidson? Okay. He he's he's like a, a bit player on SNL. Kinda he's not like a head writer. Right. He's not like one of the main characters. No. He sort of does stand up. He pops up in movies. Everyone. How does he get Kim Kardashian? I, I, I think there's a tragic element to him. I hate to say that during the there holiday. Is. There's something about him. I don't know if he's got had troubles away from the set. And, you know, and Saturday Night Live has been littered over the years, over the last 40 years with people that have had troubles in their social lives and they're away from the set lives and, you know, suicide and drug overdose. I don't know. There's some there's a little bit of a tragic thing to him going on. No. Yeah. He's been very open about his mental health issues. Yeah. And he lost his father in 9-11 as well. Oh, so I didn't know that. Got, yeah, oh, he's got some really? real baggage. Yeah. Was his father yeah. like a firefighter that went into a building or what? Do you know the details? I of don't that? know for sure. I, oh, I, that's I, awful. I, oh. Some, I, I think he might have been. Yeah, I don't know for sure. I just okay. know he lost his father in, uh, right. in 9-11. So he's definitely been open about some some issues that understandably he well, may have. Well, I thought I would begin with the breaking news. And then Thank I thought you. I would graduate <laughs> to a story that I'm going to tell you that you're going to look into that camera and you're going to say, I, I don't believe that this happened, but it really, truly did happen. A couple of days ago, as Christmas rolled around, you know, we play for the other team, so we're not really that concerned about Christmas in this household, although I want to know about your Christmas. Mm -hmm. um, when Christmas rolls around, the Levies start thinking about, what are we going to eat on New Year's? That's pretty mm. much what we, we talk <laughs> about here. Okay, and good. so we, we have a, a, fa a family of friends, of friends, 
a family friends that uh, the last few years or over the years, once or twice, have have gone with us to dinner. So we were looking for reservations okay. for dinner on New Year's Eve. That's not easy to do. So I start calling sure. around different places, seeing if I can get a table for seven reserved for New Year's Eve. And I called one local restaurant that we like that will remain nameless. It's actually closer to you mm. than it is to me. It's kind of in between you and me. And a guy answers the phone. I, I, I kid you not. A guy answers the phone. He 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 identifies himself as the general manager of the restaurant. Okay, so that's good. I'm dealing yeah. with the general manager of the restaurant. I say to the guy, "Any chance that we can get a reservation for New Year's Eve?" Sure. What do you need? I said, "Well, we'd like a table for seven around seven thirty or eight o'clock or seven o'clock or eight thirty. We're, we're beggars can't be choosers. We know that you're probably big. No, what do you want? What do you want?" <laughs> I said, "Okay, we'll take seven thirty. He says, yeah. "Okay, a table for seven seven thirty on New Year's Eve. So we're talking December 29th, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I thought, what? oh God. And I said, no. We're talking New Year's Eve, which is traditionally <laughs> December 31st. Traditionally. <laughs> and he says, he says, oh, okay. All right. December 31st. Fine. Seven, seven people for 730 on December 31st. He thought New Year's Eve was December 29th. I, okay. Who thinks it? Okay. He then says to me, okay, can I get a name and a phone number? I said, here's my phone number. Okay. Last name, Levy. First name, Mitch. Oh, no. He says, Mitch. Okay, do you go by Mike? <laughs> what? And I said, no, I go by Mitch. Okay, all right, all right, that's good. Seven for seven. So what are the chances that this is going to get screwed up, I guess is my question after all that. The guy did not know that New Year's Eve falls on December 31st. He wanted to know if I go by Mike after he asked me my name and I told him it was Mitch and he repeated it to me. Yeah. Um, what are the chances that that table is going to be there and ready for us at 730 on New Year's Eve, December 31st? For all seven of you to be sitting there having dinner at yes. 730. Is this is the 12? general manager. This is the general manager of the restaurant. <laughs> it sounds like Pete Davidson is the general manager. Of it. Um, I give you a 12 percent chance that everything's going to be perfect, that you the table will be ready for 7 at 7.30. 12% is where you are. I'd be the same way. I'd be like, there's like when you order food sometimes for pickup and they, yes. had, they have, you're thinking to yourself, I don't know what we're getting, but it's not what I ordered. Well, I'm just going to bring home a bag of food and it's probably not going to be, do you, you have just know any, it's going to be messed up. Do you have any possible explanation why he would say, so we're talking December 29th? Because <laughs> I'm trying to, I'm still trying to figure that out. Well, maybe he thinks there's 30 days in December. Oh, no. That would be, maybe he thinks, no, I, I, never mind. I have no clue. If there were 30, it wouldn't be New Year's Eve. I don't know, man. I'm trying to help him. December 29th, I don't know. I have no idea. But now I'm dying to know where this place is because I'm dying to I'll go in and I'll tell you after guy. we stop. All right. I'll tell you good. after we stop recording. Yeah, um, but it, 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 yeah. it may be worth a call the day before if I'm you just to kind of double check. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I better do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Over there. Yeah, for sure. So. All right. This is episode 172. Please subscribe. Leave us a rating and review. And for goodness sakes, become a patron this holiday season. Only cost you $5 a month. And for $5 a month, you get weekly chats with Danny O'Neill and me and Slick Hawk and Randy Mueller and Peter King and Jason Lock and Four and the Seahawks No Table, Crab Cakes, Kenny Z. 
so much wildly popular musical profiles from from Hotshot Scott for the patrons. When's the next one coming out? Are you working on the next one? No, I am working on the next oh, good. one, actually. Good. Yeah, I have some of it edited. I probably have oh, maybe good. 20, 20 something minutes edited. But it's going to be a part. It's going to be a two parter. I didn't want it to be. Yeah, I thought, well, this will be kind of no. There's just so much information about this person. But anyway, I can't wait. I hope people love it. What do you think? Say again. When do you think it'll be out? Ooh, good question. I don't know. I, I would I would hope uh, within the next couple of weeks, okay. I would hope. Okay. Yeah. All Especially right. with some time off, you All know, right. I can probably get to it a little better. I don't think that we should completely center our holiday conversation on the Seahawks and the Bears. <laughs> there's so sure? many there's so many other positive sports things happening here in the Pacific Northwest. Like, of course, the University of Washington men's basketball team. Who only lost to Utah Valley University by si- they played them to within sixteen at home the other night. Hotshot, you'll oh, okay. be happy to know. And, that, and, that's and, good. And, and I want to make clear: I'm not talking about the University of Utah. Oh yeah, I'm talking about Utah Valley University. It, only came in here and beat Washington by sixteen points on their home floor the other night. So all's not well Utah in State no. for those listening, right? Not Utah, not Utah State. State. Utah Valley Woo. University. Yes. Yeah. So when I start feeling down about things happening in the Northwest in terms of sports, you know what I like to do, Hotshot, is go to my email and check out and see what people have to say about the old show. A quick pick me up. Is that what you like? That's correct. (laughs) And I actually found one. Oh, okay. I found a, a, a note from an emailer that has made my day, made my week, made my month. Are you ready? Yes. Dear Mitch, my family first discovered you during the 2019 NFL season. Oh, okay. As you were a frequent guest of BJ Shea on the mornings after Ah. Seahawks. Had no idea that I worked at KJR. No idea what happened to me. No idea. Mm -hmm. Just know me from 2019, the BJ Shea show on Monday mornings after Seahawks games. All right. Finally paying off. She That's right. She writes, we loved hearing the insights and opinions that you shared with BJ and wanting to hear more followed you over to your podcast. It wasn't until the 2020 season and the pandemic had shut down my 11th graders school year that we really felt your impact in our lives. As was the case for all of our kids, the last school year was a tough one. Being forced to sit in front of a computer screen all day, so isolated from friends and teachers, I was lucky to be able to be home with him during this time to provide him with some personal interaction. We had lunch together every day, my 11th grader and me, and your podcast became a staple of our lunchtime entertainment. Since he only had a half hour for lunch, Monday's podcast would take us most of the week to get through. We especially enjoyed the in-football season shows, Love, Brady, and Joe, and we also appreciated many of the other stories and life lessons shared in your show. Luckily, this school year is back in person, so we don't have too much time to listen together. But my son, knowing that I'm still following your show, will often ask me on Monday or Tuesday, what did Mitch have to say? (laughs) Anyway, I wanted to write and tell you that we love the show and thank you for being a light for us in some of those dark days. And also, thank you for giving something for a 17-year-old boy and his 40-something-year-old mom to connect over and talk about. 
That's the great thing about sports, isn't it? Keep up the great work. All the best to you and yours. Nicole from Issaquah, Washington. P.S. I do have a little grievance to file. Oh, here we go. About the bell. (laughs) I don't hate you over the bell like that other guy. (laughs) But my dog gets so upset at that bell. He will immediately jump up and go sit by the door begging to get out the door (laughs) after every one of your dings. He's become so conditioned to anticipate the bell that now he wants to leave the room as soon as he hears your voice. PPS, despite my dog's bell sensitivities, I gave you five stars on Apple Podcasts, Nicole. How about that? Well, I think the dog can get in line. It's a long line of people who <laughs> want to run out the room when they hear your voice. So it's not that really that uncommon. But but as soon as I heard P.S. from Nicole, I thought, here we go. Here we go. She's dropping the hammer. P.S. File a grievance. Uh, There's always a grievance, right? Always a grievance. By the yes. way, to your statement that people want to leave, my family now, they leave the house when we start to to record the podcast. It's yeah. not it's not enough that they leave the upstairs and go downstairs. <laughs> now, they just want out of the house when we start to yeah. do these things. So you're not, no, Nicole's dog is definitely not alone. No, no question about no. that. Anyway. Yep. All right. Beat the boys. Before we start episode 172, Fireside Home Solutions. Thank you to John Waterstrat and Fireside Home Solutions. You did our outdoor fireplace and it's wonderful. Even during the winter. Weekend number 17 is coming up. We're going to have to pay off everybody who beats us. Weekend number 17's games are as follows. Rams at Ravens, Cardinals at Cowboys. What's happened to the Cardinals? Browns at Steelers. And the code word to get into make your picks and beat the boys presented by Fireside Home Solutions is champagne. Oh, I like it. Okay. Rams, Ravens, Cards, Cowboys. What's happened to the Cardinals? Browns and Steelers, code word, champagne. Guests for this episode, 172 of Mitch Unfiltered. Seahawks, no table again, Joe and Brady. Are we watching in progress the nail in the Pete Carroll coffin? You and I will discuss that in segment number one after the Bears come back now and beat the Seahawks. That game was in the, it felt like it was in the bag the entire game. And then at the very end, I'm looking at the screen and it's like Bears 25 Seahawks. I mean, how did this happen? Uh, Eric Curley. You may not know the name Eric Curley, Hotshot. Okay. Head coach of the Graham Kapowson football team. Mm. You know that story of Graham Kapowson? Yeah. Going after they won the state championship of Washington, going off and facing in Las Vegas, the 7A state champions from the state of Georgia and the best player in the entire nation. And they beat him on that last play, that like a 30-yard touchdown pass. We've got Eric Curley, the head coach of Graham Kapowson, on this episode 172. And the third guest is all you. It's your interview. You you grab the microphone, you grab the limelight, and you interviewed a guy by the name of, now I want to pronounce it right, John Maggio. Tell everybody who John Maggio is, Hotshot. Well, you'll be happy to know that when I had the, the PR person on the call with us and I said, is it is it Maggio or Maggio? She goes, oh, it's it's Maggio. And then I get him on. It's like, oh, geez. hey, I just want to make sure. Is it Maggio or Maggio? He says, oh, it's Maggio. <laughs> hey, thanks, PR person. God. All right. Anyway, uh, John Maggio. And yes. I, he probably wouldn't carry the way, but he's no. a director and he directed a documentary called Mr. Saturday Night that's on HBO Max. Which and for those that follow me on Twitter, I've tweeted yeah. about it. Yeah. It, it's one of those documentaries that I was just going to be in the bag for. No matter how good it really was, it's yeah. just 
all of the the topics and storylines in it are just so right up my alley. And it's basically he John wanted to do a documentary about the disco scene in New York City in the mid seventies. That's kind of where it kicked off in the U.S. Right with fifty four and all that. And as he's making the documentary, this one name keeps popping up. Like, okay, he's this guy's sort of involved with all of it, so he kind of pivoted to make sure you know, he pivoted to do a documentary really about this guy and, and everything he touched, which was the movie Saturday night fever, the clubs, the disco club scene um, on and on this guy, Robert Stigwood. So anyway, I lo- I love the documentary and I wanted you to interview him. And eventually after I kept sending you questions, you just said, why don't you just do it then? I was like, all right. So well, at the time, at <laughs> well, the time that I told you to do it, I hadn't seen it yet. And I don't even think that I had seen it at the time that you actually did the interview. And it's always better for somebody who has seen the, the program yeah. than somebody who hasn't. But since you've done the interview and since you've highly recommended it, I've now sat down with my wife and we watched it. We were curious why John Travolta didn't seem to participate. It was all old footage of oh. the, it was so much about Saturday night fever. You would have thought that John Travolta would have been a centerpiece, a current interview with John Travolta yeah. looking back to those days. Were you curious about that? Now, that sounds like a question from somebody who didn't listen to my interview with John Maggio. I have That's not heard what it. that sounds like. I've yet. not heard it yet. I've yeah. not heard it yet. He, he, he explains it. Oh, because as you know, I'm the master interviewer. and No good question goes, <laughs> you know, gets by me. So I did, in fact, ask him and I can tell you the answer now or you can listen. It's up. To no, you. no, 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 no. I want to listen. I want to okay. listen. But All there right. is a reason why Travolta is not in the documentary. Is it a good reason? Are you satisfied with the reason? Yeah, it's pretty satisfying. Okay. It is. And yeah, if you go back and look at his personal life, you can sort of do the math on what it it might be. Okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah. So Seahawks, no table, Joe Brady and myself, Eric Curley, the head football coach of Graham Kapowson High School. (laughs) It's Uh, fun to say that, isn't it? I don't know why I love saying it. Kapowson. And Scott's interview with John Maggio, Mr. Saturday Night, the documentary. Listen, Hotshot, the Seahawks disaster of a season will not stop us from having a fun New Year's edition 172. But before we get there, a few words about our partners. The brand new Kirkland office of Cross Country Mortgage, one of the nation's premier mortgage companies. They wanted a new team in Kirkland, and they've got one. Jordan Flowers, who brought along his entire crew. There's some really good refinancing opportunities available through Jordan Flowers' team. Here's his number directly, 425-890-2957. You could be saving a lot of money each month. Evergreen Golf Call, tax advisors, certified financial planners, experienced portfolio managers working together to bring retirement planning taxes and investments under one roof evergreengk.com more than just a financial advisor evergreen is everything wealth the levy family loves zeke's pizza everyone knows about their incredible craft beer selection but don't sleep on the chopped salad my son brett loves it Download the Zeke's Pizza app and have pizza, beer, salads at your door in no time. Zeke's Pizza, homegrown in the Northwest. Daniel's Broiler for the holidays. Now, a reminder, they're famous drink mixers like the old-fashioned being sold at Amazon and QFC for the month of December, so just a few days left. Mitch Unfiltered listeners get 10% off on Amazon. Discount code Mitch10DB until the end of this month, so just a few days left. On the discount, Fireside Home Solutions, title sponsor of the Beat the Boys competition. Is there a better time than now to look into a new fireplace for the winter? We just bought our last unit from John's crew outside on our patio. Start your search at firesidehomesolutions.com. 
All right. The New Year's edition, episode 172 with my man, Hotshot Scott. And it begins right now. Unfiltered. Any game that starts <laughs> yeah. with the Seahawks will be without Tyler Lockin and some defensive starters, but they will have Rashad Penny. Yeah. I don't think you need to watch the next three. <laughs> All you need to hear is that. Unfiltered. The Pete Carroll era, as great as it was, needs to come to an end. I have not liked in, in, in recent years the way he's run the organization. I haven't liked his choices for coordinators. I haven't liked the fact that he's stuck with certain coordinators for as long as he has mitch is unfiltered Episode 172 now is officially underway with my friend hotshot scott who celebrated in style for christmas how how was christmas at the Soden household. Another success. We somehow pulled it off. And all I can think about is I don't know how people with like four and five kids do it. Like my, my wife and I are, we're at our wits end, making sure you got everything got delivered and the right. wrapping and right. we're up late. How do people do it with like four and five? And six? I don't know how they do it. I'm, I'm more impressed with those big families every year, but it was great. I feel like we, we pulled off a, a great one and Piper seemed to love everything. And I got a lot of cool stuff and my wife seemed happy and nice. it was a, a complete success. Nice. So I now, are don't you, have any bad. Are things you to say church about goers or not? What vibe did I give off to you that would suggest that I'm a churchgoer? <laughs> well, I'm you've got, there's other people in your family besides <laughs> you, true. you know. And uh, I, typically, we are not churchgoers. Church I mean, I, my wife would probably be open to it, but we're just we just don't okay. for whatever reason. So, and I, I no. think I probably had this conversation with you last year at this time. Piper's now, what, 13? 12. 12. Yeah. Where is she on the whole Santa Claus? Oh. I don't, is, that a, is that a sore subject or... Well, it's she's kind of close to me as we record right now, but oh, oh. it's still so it's speak still to me going. In, speak to me in silence. Do the Garrett <laughs> some, Morris, some our top news story tonight. <laughs> Give me a right. closed caption for the hearing impaired. I don't know how do you. How, it's it's still going, but I'm ninety eight percent convinced that she's in on it, but doesn't want to admit that she's in on it. If okay. that makes any sense. No, to you. that doesn't really make sense. So let me speak, and you just say yes or no. Okay. Are you saying that she knows that there's no such thing as Santa Claus, but she doesn't want to tell you guys that she knows? That's what I'm saying. Oh. Yeah. I thought the kids, once they realize it, want to blurt it out to the world and make their parents know, look, I'm 12 now. I get it, mom yeah. and dad. There's no such person as St. Nick. She's going kicking and screaming into teenhood. I think she kind of likes being a kid and... It kind of it would probably bum her out to think that that part might be over of her life. So she's just she's a very emo she's a very sweet, yes. uh, sensitive kid. So I just think so, she's going along with it. So she doesn't believe it, but she wants kind of to believe it. Yes. Yeah. We're okay. we're still all acting as if as if. Okay. Yes. Leaving cookies and everything. <laughs> oh, and milk and the whole really. Uh, we for forgot carrots. I had to go pull some kale out of the refrigerator. You know. Really. But, yeah, we dropped the ball on the carrots. Okay, so what happens? You leave the cookies and the milk and the carrots or whatever. Yeah. Then she goes to bed, and you, yep. you or your wife has to eat them. Or you, what do you do? It's a combination of that. Of <laughs> yes. Of um, does she go to bed early on Christmas Eve? I mean, how early does she go to bed? 
Not, I mean, she's 12 and she's got friends and a phone. So, you know, probably like 11 or so. Okay. Maybe t- I don't know, 1045, right. 11. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And then she but ra- I, uh, she races down like all the other kids, races down on Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, Christmas morning, and sees what's under the, the tree. And the, you do the whole opening of gifts and all that stuff. That, that oh, good yeah. Stuff? Okay, good. Yeah, yeah. She's, she's not allowed to go down without us. And she knows that. So I, oh. I get a little tap on the shoulder around like 7 or 730. Oh, yeah. So then I, I go down first. Like every day the of the year up. or just. <laughs> <laughs> I wish. <laughs> I wish you'd listen to me that well. <laughs> no. So, yeah. So I, I go down first and I, I put the lights on and everything. And then, you know, if there's anything that has to be set up, I get that going. And oh. yeah. And then her and mom come down and we go oh. for it. We hit She's it hard. not allowed downstairs until she taps you on the shoulder. Yeah, That's sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes there might be something that needs a little finishing touch that I, I want. I want to have set up, you know, not just the tree lit That's up, nice. but like, for instance, she had like a little um, I don't know. You, your kids are probably a little young, but it's like an air fort where you literally hook a fan to this thing and it makes a little like a parachute fort. Really? It's pretty awesome, actually. Yeah, it's pretty cool. So I wanted to have that all running and set up oh. before she came down, for instance, Ooh. this year. So, yeah. yeah, it was great. And by the way, I'm officially yeah. a softball dad. I got the care package this year. And it's pretty awesome, I got to say. What do you mean you're a softball dad? What does that mean? I'm a fish. I feel like an official softball dad now because I was given. Have you seen those little wagons people pull around the games yes. with all their yes, shit? Yes, I made there? fun of those people. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Until I found myself carrying a couple duffel bags and a backpack and my coffee and my lawn chair. And then one of the moms was finally looking at me like, dude, it's OK. Just get yourself a little a little wagon. I mean, it's cool. I was like, oh, I, I don't need one. I'll just carry it all. I'm a man, you know. I totally needed one and I got one for Christmas. And I also got a, yeah, oh. for Christmas. And I also got a, a, a heated chair that sits on the bleachers. It's like a comfy little padded heated chair. Nice. Which is going to be awesome for my backside nice. and uh, a nice. little waterproof blanket. So I'm all set. I'm, I'm ready nice. for softball season. Yes. And did she get a marquee present? Was there something special or was it a, a compilation of a lot of things? I would say the marquee present was her Microsoft surface that she got. That was the wrong color because of me. But the surface is the the wow. big present. Yeah. You got the wrong color. The wrong color. Yeah. Who knew? I don't know. I just got what? the silver one. I'm supposed to get like rose gold or something. Oh, I don't, I don't know. know. I don't I don't know either. <laughs> like, dude, I just spent six hundred dollars on a laptop. It's way more than you need, and now I gotta take it back. So anyway, that would that would be the, got a, the big she one. She got a Microsoft Surface for for Christmas. Yeah, it's a, that's it's a hell of a, a gift. It is, but it's it's called a Surface Go. It's like the smallest oh, one you can know. get. Don't start but underplaying. It, no, don't start well, playing it down now. <laughs> you got her a Microsoft Surface for for yes. Christmas. It's a hell of a gift. Spoil rotten. And she's got a she got a pair of Beats wireless headphones too. Ooh. That was a pretty big one. Yeah, she's Ooh. spoiled, dude. It's probably nice not having a sibling. <laughs> she doesn't have to split anything. We just spoil the crap out of her, and then you know. Uh, dear. yeah. So no, it was it was a success overall. It was good. Well, alert her that on the Sunday after Christmas that uh, the Seattle Seahawks were unable to beat a four and ten football team coming here with their third string quarterback. I'll now, say, I have to let, ask me, you. let me let me repeat <laughs> okay. that. Let me repeat that. The Seattle Seahawks, under the direction of Pete Carroll, with quarterback Russell Wilson and general manager John Schneider, were not able to beat a 4-10 and ten football team that was on the road here with their third-string quarterback. Okay, I got that out. Go ahead. Now, Questions what first. if the Seahawks win out? Stop it. What happens then if they win out? They go five, <laughs> they go seven and ten. 
That's exactly <laughs> okay, what happens. All right. I just wanted and to the, know. And their second round draft choice is not as high as it is right now. It oh doesn't impact, of course, their first round draft choice because they don't have a first round draft choice. That would be possession into the. Do you think that the um, the New York Jets brass was kind of happy looking at the scoreboard, watching the Chicago Bears lay the tenth loss on the Seattle Seahawks, knowing <laughs> that the Jets have the Seahawks' first round draft choice? How do you no think doubt. they were feeling in New York about that? Huh? Loving it, absolutely loving it. I know. God, I know. It, it was weird, like you said. It like after that that DK touchdown, I thought the Seahawks are going to play really well the last few games just to really annoy me. Right, they're 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 going to show you that they're going to drop fifty on this team and look look what could have been. But I'd like to publicly thank the Seahawks for showing us that they really are not a good football team. What you're thank saying you. is the Seahawks were kind of going to do what Rashad Penny is doing. <laughs> That's exactly right? right. Yes. After <laughs> after what four years of incompetence? After four years of not being able, not being available? After four years of having a, a hangnail keep him out of football games for six weeks? Yeah. Rashad Penny in the last four or five weeks of his Seahawks career has decided to look like an all pro running back, right? He's carrying block. He's carrying tacklers. He's gaining over 300 yards in three games. He goes for a hundred, what do you go? 135 on Sunday, only 17 carries touchdowns. All of a sudden Rashad Penny is fricking Barry Sanders (laughs) after watching four years of him disappoint us, right? All I could dream of was a healthy Carson and a healthy Penny alternating carries all season long. How great would that have been to watch those two going back? Thunder, we had our own thunder and lightning in Seattle. Fresh legs, fresh, just bringing them in, rotating. I know it's crazy what Penny's doing, but honestly, I think that O line is really run blocking well. I've been saying it for like three weeks, but they are blowing some holes open, and he should be getting some yards. But yeah, it's it's just bizarre. Mm. It's 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 a Rod hitting home runs when it doesn't matter was always the big knock on him. That's kind of what okay. I feel about Penny. So when a Rod's hitting home runs that don't matter, and Rashad Penny is gaining yards that don't matter. Then Carlos Dunlap has decided to become <laughs> Reggie White in the final few games of the year, right? Yes. Rasheem Green cannot be blocked. He's, he's, right. in, he's, a, he's a man child. He's one of the great pass rushers now in the National <laughs> Football. And by the way, unrestricted free agent at the end of the year. He He's going bye-bye, Rasheem Green. Somebody will yeah. pay him a lot of money. So it's just one thing after the next. But here's the thing. With all of those great performances, you can always count on some other things. Like Jason Myers oh. to miss a short field goal which would have essentially put the game away yeah. and given them a 10 point lead, a two possession lead and put the, but of course he hits a, he hits a chip shot field goal the way I hit a drive and pulls it dead left, left of the upright and the Seahawks leave the bears in the game and the bears come down and score. Right. That's I, I, yeah. I know I was sort of a Jason Myers apologist for yes, a while. You were. There were a lot of people that were. I think he's officially shit. Thank you very much. I'm ready to. I'm, how I'm many, ready for that one. How to many go years away. have I been telling you that he's shit? Yeah, you have been. <laughs> yeah, 39 yarder, couldn't hit it. Couldn't hit it. I know nope. I, it was snow. Was it snowy? Yes. The snap was fine. The field yeah, was fine. The hold was fine. He he had, the hold was fine. He had kicked some other ones. It was a. Yeah. I, I don't want to hear about the snow. He totally gagged it dead left. And gave the Bears a chance to win, which, of course, they did. So I don't know what to tell you. All I can tell you is I'm hearing all kinds of rumors flying around about what's going on behind closed doors over there, about Pete Carroll and about John Schneider and their relationship and oh. and, and Jody Allen and whose side she's on. And I'm hearing all kinds of stuff, which I won't get into because I don't think it's 
as much as we are unfiltered, I don't think it's responsible. I don't know any, I don't know about any of this being true. All I know is I'm hearing a lot. In the last five days, my phone has ran, has rang a few times. Whoa. And I've spoken to a few different there's all kinds of shit flying around about what's going Ooh. on over there. So I don't I don't know what's gonna happen, but boy, Pete Carroll. Uh, yeah, but isn't that kind of his M.O.? I mean, when he leaves a place, he really leaves a place. <laughs> I mean, you know, he he, he goes down yeah. swinging, man. He, yeah. he lights it on fire and then hits the bricks. Just look no further than that that last drive. I mean, how many times have we seen Russell with a minute to go? Like, okay, he's going to get him in position, and then we all bite our fingernails waiting for Jason Myers to right. kick it. But right. he'll get him in. He'll at least get him there. Did you think he was going to get him there this time around? I kind of did. Maybe because I'm just stupid and I've yeah. seen it before. Yeah. And the Bears are a four and 10 team or I guess they're what, five and 10 now. But <laughs> yes, the Bears aren't any good. So yeah. I thought he could do it. That a check down to Dallas that didn't gain anything. The holding penalty backed him up. Sure. Lockett on second and 16 can't bring in a low pass. A 15 yard game by Lockett, but is tackled inbounds to set up fourth and one with 31 seconds left. That's right. False start by Everett. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so now offsetting dodge fourth and six. Oh and then God. that weird overthrow on the final play of the game where it wasn't even close. I think it was to lock it. Maybe. Uh, I don't know. It just was like, wow, that last drive just kind of summed up the season right there. I mean, Russell makes that, that pass 99 out of a hundred times before he gets hurt. And there's just something going on with him. Just something going on. You're talking about the fourth down play, the final offensive play of the game. Yeah. Yeah. What was that? It wasn't even close. No, it wasn't close. I thought that the last play of the game. Oh no, no, that's right. He scrambled on the third. To, there was there was offsetting penalties. They even that's had right. a they had a second chance on fourth and six. Right? <laughs> they, did, yeah, yeah. they didn't just have one chance on fourth and six. He he was stopped short of the first down on a scramble. But they yeah. got to do the play over. They got a do over, as we used to say in the that's playground. Right. They got a do over, and they still couldn't do it. No. No. Game over. 25, 24 bears. Yeah. So it's a good thing that we're going to talk about other things and have other guests on this particular podcast, because uh, I mean, who who during the holiday season can concentrate on the Seahawks? The the one thing I will say is I, I, I spent some time in the last few days just kind of thinking about the roster. And I started asking myself, look, I don't think that Pete Carroll should be back. I know that people disagree. A lot of people disagree. Probably more people agree. But I think that the the Pete Carroll thing has run its course. I don't know about John Schneider, but I'd like to see them start over with a new head coach. And, and, and of course, thank Pete Carroll for everything that he's done. But then the other question I was asking myself this week as I was looking at the roster, getting ready for the Sunday game against the Bears is, does Pete care? And I know there's a lot of money at stake, and of course he wants to finish what he started, but does Pete Carroll even want the aggravation of coming back? I mean, does he? I mean, he hmm. is he is Pollyanna, so he probably would tell you, of course I want to come back. We're gonna win the Super Bowl now. We have the we have the pieces to win the Super Bowl. So I don't know. Maybe yeah. he just he doesn't live in reality. But my reality when I look at this roster is I look at the off. I'll go. I'll go position by position with you, real quick. We have plenty of time yeah. to do this another time, but real quickly, offensive line. They need a new right tackle. They need a new center. The center got called for holding on the play that you're talking about. They're probably going to need a, a new left tackle. The aging left tackle is now without a contract. He'll be a free agent during the season. I don't even know if he want. I don't. It probably was a good thing that you didn't give him an yeah. extension because he seems to have dropped off a little bit. Dwayne Brown. You still need a wide so right tackle, center, left tackle, probably need all three. You need a wide receiver still. You're still a wide receiver short. 
running back. Who the hell knows? Is Chris right. Carson coming back? Can you depend upon Chris Carson? Rashad Penny will probably get an offer from somewhere and go. Is DJ Dallas the answer? Is Travis Homer? Collins won't be back. So you, you, you might even have to start from scratch on running back. Your defensive lineman, Rasheed Green, who played great again on Sunday, he's an unrestricted free agent. Al Woods, who's been great defensive tackle, He's an unrestricted free agent. The guys that you have under contract, half of them you're not excited about. Are you excited about Hyder? Are you excited about Alton Robinson? Uh, I guess we get excited over Daryl Taylor. He's under contract. We like Puna Ford. He's under contract. And if you want Dunlap back after the way he's playing at the end of the, the season, after he did nothing for eight or ten weeks, yeah, you can have him back for $4 million. And then you go to the defensive backs and Quandre Diggs, Unrestricted yep. free agent, going to uh, get big money from somebody. Ryan Neal's a free agent. Your cornerbacks, DJ Reed is a free agent. Sidney Jones is a free agent. Bless Austin is a free agent. I, I don't know. Trey Brown is injured. He's coming back from injury, and he was injured at Oklahoma. This, To me, you look at this roster, and it's a complete reclamation. Pro it's a project. Yeah. I mean, you're almost building this thing from the ground up. So my question at the beginning, I'll, I'll ask again, does Pete Carroll, uh, now you're going to tell me Pete Carroll looks at what I just looked at and said, oh, no, that's great. We, we're going to we're going to win Super Bowls with that group that you're talking about. Uh, for right. me, as a realist, I look at this and I say, how can this team be any good without massive, a massive overhaul and no number one pick, by the way, no yeah. first round draft choice as well? How is this team going to be any good next year? Well, how would how would this team even start a massive overhaul with no draft picks, hardly with no money. Well, like, they'll have money. They're going to have money. They will have money. They're okay. going to have money. They're going to have money, but they need so much. Yeah. They need yeah, so much. Their pro one of, one of their pro bowlers, Bobby Wagner's in like his 38th season. Yes. So, yes, you know, I mean, he could, I hate to say it, but he could easily take a turn for the worse at any point. You of course, know, it would, of it's shocking that he's playing at this level at his age. Right. You know, so yeah, it's, it does look like a big reclamation project, it, but maybe, maybe Pete likes that. Maybe he, maybe he wants to get no, his guys no, in here. Maybe he's lost no, the locker room. No, no. All right. Maybe, I think, you know, him, I, I, I tend to think that Pete Carroll looks at the same thing that I'm looking at. You talk about the glass half empty. He sees that glass as half full all the time, and he probably looks at what I'm looking at and says, Mitch, you're crazy. Are you kidding me, Mitch? Puna Ford and Kerry Hyder are great players. We're going to have Dunlap back. Taylor's on the verge of superstardom. I'm just going back over what I just said, right? Yeah. Oh, Chris Carson's going to come back healthy. Uh, D. Eskridge is going to be a great third receiver. We don't need a third receiver. Posick is really coming around at center, even though he had the hold on Sunday. He's coming around. He's going to be a very – he would look at the exact same thing as I'm looking at and yeah. tell me chicken salad. Right. Chicken yeah. salad. So You see apples, he sees oranges. Yeah. I normally see oranges, by the way. That's uh, that's the look of the uh, of the Seahawks, and we'll see what happens, but they are <sighs> now – Five and ten. They're a five and ten football team with two more weeks to play. In come the Detroit Lions, and then they'll go to Arizona and face the Cardinals. And this and this season will be mercifully over, Hotshot Scott. Mercifully over. So. I'm excited to see what the attendance looks like. I mean, I know there was snow and everything on Sunday, but that Detroit game. I mean, this these new twelves who kind of came on board with during Russell Wilson, they haven't gone through this. We've all gone through this as sports fans right. plenty of times, right? right? Right. Some more than others right. around here. Right. Let's see what the, what that stadium is mm. going to look like on mm. Sunday, and we'll see how you know, how fast those bandwagon fans jump off. Well, I, I want. I wonder. I wonder what it looked like for the Bears game in the snow. Did everybody get in their cars and 
uh, during the holidays and, and go to the ball game and start screaming and yelling from the beginning, get lubed up and, and be part of the 12s, or was it half empty on Sunday? I'd like to know the answer to that question. What was the exuberance like from yeah. the 12s on Sunday against the Bears? But yeah, you're right. What's to bring you out to the ball game and right. $15 beers for the Lions and the, the Seahawks and the Lions? One team's got, what, two wins, and the other team's got five wins, seven wins combined between right. the two. I don't know. I, I, I certainly wouldn't go. Yeah, I wouldn't go. I know. Anyway, okay, three three interviews. Let's do three interviews and do some yes. uh, other stuff that'll be fun in our final segment. Jay Flo is in the house. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. How are we doing at Cross Country Mortgage? What are we, about six months in now? We are pretty much six months in. We're doing wonderful. Thank you, Mitch. And I appreciate the Mannheim steamroller <laughs> intro. Thank you, buddy. <laughs> Oh, it's been a wonderful season, wonderful year, just blessings and wrapping things up here. What's going on in the mortgage industry in terms of the holiday season? Do things typically slow down this month? You know, uh, typically they do. Historically, the winter months, Christmas time, Thanksgiving in January are the quieter months as everybody kind of prepares for the buying season. Things are still incredibly busy with people trying to squeeze in with last minute refis and take advantage of still trying to get in the high 2% range with wherever their rates were at or shortening the term. So we're still staying busy and active and people are getting pre-approved and still trying to get ready to buy for homes that come on here. So hit me with some numbers on a 30-year fix, Jordan. Yeah, if you look around, they're going to be in the low threes. We're doing everything we can here at my branch and cross country to help our clients out and figure out a way to get them still in the high twos without passing on any right. charge for it, any discount points for it or anything. So we're still trying to help people take advantage and capture that two rate before they go away. So assuming I've got good credit, a good credit score, what should I be looking for in my mortgage and my current rate that would tell me, hey, get on the phone with Jordan or somebody like Jordan just to explore what's out there for me? Yeah, I'd say if you're anywhere in the mid threes right now on a 30 year fixed, um, it's worth a call, especially to take advantage of the rates. If you're seven years in, five to 10 years in on a 30 year and you're thinking about going maybe to a 15 or a 20, could be a good time. We're still kind of in the mid twos on a 15 year fixed. Um, so definitely something to take a look at there. Yeah, anywhere in the mid threes, I would say. Beautiful. And we remind our listeners that you don't have to start all over. You can keep the mortgage right where you are in its term, right? You are such a good listener, Mitch. <laughs> Thank you, buddy. Appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Any 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 amortization period of months between 20 years and 30 years, we can set it at. And we can look at 15-year options and, and lower even. But and yes, we can set it to any term. And you can take some money out for the holiday season. You can take money out for the holiday season, prepare for college or yeah. Yeah. school for your kids. Yeah, consolidate any debts you might want to have at a low 30-year fixed rate still. It's a great time to do that. Phone number, how do we reach you, Jordan? Cell phone, 425-890-2957. And email is teamflowers at myccmortgage.com or Jordan period flowers at myccmortgage.com. Jordan Flowers has been exceptional. They've been a great partner since just about the beginning. We love Jordan Flowers. We love cross-country mortgage. Unfiltered. Third and four, Wilson to pass. Wilson taking a shot, looking for Metcalf in stride. Touchdown, Seattle. On the play fake, Wilson rolls, fires. End zone, caught, touchdown, Gerald Everett. Pulls, end zone. And this time it is caught by guess who? Jimmy Graham, the former Seahawk with the touchdown. 
feel like I, I, I have to do more. I have to I feel in mean, a time like this, I feel like I got to find ways to help our guys more so that we don't get in a situation where we even give them a chance. Um, you know, we went back to the old ways. We were seven out of 14, you know, and we've been so much better than that uh, throughout most of the year. And then to come back to that really pisses me off because that's not the way we want to play. Episode 172, Seahawks no table time. Another loss. Brady Henderson, ESPN, ESPN.com. Joe Fan, win bet in Las Vegas. Brought to you by TacoTimeNW.com slash careers. Looking for good people. Taco Time. All it takes is about a 15 or 20 minute Zoom interview. Brady Henderson, ESPN.com. It just felt like the whole game that the Seahawks were well in control. I, at the end, you look up and it's 25 to 24. The game's over and the Bears are celebrating. It was a, it was kind of a weird day on Sunday in a lot of respects. Yeah, it, it really was. And, you know, I think going into it, as bad as the Seahawks have been this season, this just felt like a game that they should have won. And I realized they're not good enough to, to be, you know, sort of taking any wins, you know, for any, any observer to take any wins for granted. But this is a four, this was a four win Bears team uh, that was down to its third string quarterback in Nick Foles. I realized that he's won a Super Bowl, but he's their third option for a reason. And, you know, while people might have wondered if the Seahawks were at a disadvantage having played on Tuesday, well, I mean, the Bears played on Monday. So, this was a game that the Seahawks should have won, and I, I would consider this their most inexplicable loss of the season. You can look at so many of their losses and not excuse them, but you can understand why they happened. They lost three games when they didn't have Russell Wilson at the end of those games. They lost to the Cardinals. I realized they had a backup quarterback, but the Cardinals are a pretty good team, or at least they were for most of this season. So many, you know, most of their losses, you could understand why it happened. You just can't understand why a team you know, loses to a Bears team like this, especially when they were in control, as you said, led by 10 points, I think, at halftime and then, you know, in the fourth quarter. And so this was certainly, I think it was their most inexplicable loss. And with the way that they lost it, you know, losing uh, in the fashion that they did with Jimmy Graham, of all people, scoring the winning touchdown, it's probably their most uh, hard-to-stomach loss as well. Joe, if Jason Myers kicks a field goal, I know it was a snowy day, but he... You know, he looked, he looked like one of your drives, for God's sakes. If he just kicks that field goal, it's 10, the game's over, pretty much. What do you think, Joe? What, why is it, as we sit here now and talk about another, the 10th loss of the year for the Seahawks, why, how, why, how'd they lose that game on Sunday? I am more prone to the power fade off of the tee, and so it wasn't exactly the same thing, but, but missing the fairway all the same, your point is well taken. I'll take Brady's word inexplicable and also add inexcusable. Russell Wilson taking that sack that that led to the missed field goal. The touchdown drive for the Bears at the very end. Six plays was all it took in the in the snow and crap weather to go 80 yards in a minute 55 and then getting the two-point conversion on top of that. Uh, granted, you tip your cap to a lot of it. A great catch by Demir Bird on that two-point try, uh, able to get one knee down and secure the catch. Um but it's just not good enough. Um, it hasn't been good enough. And you look at uh, not even uh, just the missed field goal drive, but they had another chance uh, after the, the Bears had a turnover on downs and a crucial holding penalty knocks them out of field goal range. Uh, they end up having to punt. Um, whether you agree with the decision to punt or not is another topic of conversation. And then they ultimately have the two-point drive at the very end as well. 
and they couldn't get the job done. It sort of felt like the Titans game in that regard where they had so many opportunities offensively to just finish them. And not once could they get the job done. And, and there's lots of blame to go around. And it's on Jason Myers, it's on Russell Wilson, it's on Pete Carroll for continuing to waste challenges uh, and timeouts. It's on the defense for giving up just a heinous, heinous touchdown drive with very little resistance. Uh, again, just six plays to cover 80 yards is just nauseating from a Seahawks fan standpoint. Yeah, this was one of those games where there, there are so many things that went wrong for them, so many missed opportunities, so many miscues that it almost it feels a little unfair just to focus on one. And so I, I'm, I'm that's my preface as I'm about to focus on one here. And it was really it was two plays. It was uh, the 13-yard sack by Russell Wilson on I think third and eight, um, and then which you know that pushed Jason Myers' field goal attempt from I guess what would have been 26 yards to 39. Now that's still well within makeable field goal range, but. You know, and, and so should he have made that? Yes. But should Russell Wilson have not taken a 13-yard sack there? Also, yes. And, you know, he sort of chalked it up afterwards to kind of the, the type of risk-reward play there that a lot of times, you know, he, he was looking for Tyler Lockett there, and he noted a lot of times that results in a touchdown. But a 13-yard loss there, that's just too much. You know, I, I realize that 39 yards is makeable for what Jason Myers, who has been a good kicker, if at times, but on a cold day like that, you just can't, you, you've got to throw the ball out, out of the end zone there. And Pete Carroll was pretty unequivocal. Russell, you know, kind of played the, the both sides of it and said, you know, it's a, it's a risk reward. Carroll was unequivocal and said that that's just, you can't take a sack there. You got to throw the ball away. And uh, those were obviously two pivotal plays and they lead by 10 points there midway through the fourth quarter. If, and maybe more, if, if they get a first down, it's infuriating, infuriating to hear that from Russ because yes, time and place, risk-reward, you can play that game. But that is not a situation where you can take the risk. The, the field goal ultimately makes it a two-score game, and the, the game is then you would expect to be over at that point. And so it's it's not – you didn't need – if you needed the touchdown, then sure, okay, you, you got to go for it and figure it out. But there's a time and place, and, and situational football is always relevant. And so to not acknowledge that at all is – I don't know. For me, that's that's weak on Russ's part. Yeah, hold on, Brady. Uh, it sounds like Joe. Are you calling bullshit on Russ? It sounds like you're I'll calling call bullshit bu again. You're, you're calling bullshit again on Russ. Last nothing week, like being in the holiday spirit and calling bullshit <laughs> on back to back shows. Yeah, and and you know I I'm gonna be honest with you. I have to go back and look at that play to really have a, a fair assessment on this. But you know Joe has made the point several times this year, and I and I wonder if it applies to this one too that. Russell just he's not 24 25 year old Russell anymore and so there's just going to be sacks that he, he's not going to be able to escape as well as he did earlier in his career and in a situation like that again I don't know if that would apply here maybe he actually had a good chance and it just didn't work out but that is a part of his game that I think could be better is is recognizing that he's just not as escapable as he once was. Brady, what's the ram? This is a stupid question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Is there any ramification of this loss? Obviously, they weren't going to the playoffs either way. So there's no ramifications, no consequences as it pertains to the playoffs. But how about just fallout? I mean, does, I mean, this week at, at in Renton, is there any is there any fallout to a loss like this? I mean, I'm I'm sure you're probably wondering about the fate of the head coach. Uh, I mean. I'm assuming you are. I, I I continue just to think that it's just hard to imagine Jody Allen 
a year after giving him a five-year contract extension, uh, moving on and all of the financial implications that would come with that. And, um, you know, I, I guess it goes back to the conversation too of like, there are so many things that we don't, it's, it's so hard to predict what's going to happen because we don't know much at all about the person who was making the decisions uh, in Jody Allen. And we assume that she is making those decisions. I mean, we don't even know. Um, and so I, I just, I have to plead some level of ignorance there, but I just think that conventional wisdom would say that um, it's very unlikely that a coach gets fired after signing a five-year extension. And like, I'm, I'm not talking about what should happen or what is ultimately the, what would be the best course of action for, you know, the long-term future of the organization. I'm just talking about if we're trying to make a prediction, you just got to realize that they just gave him a five-year extension with three years longer than the previous extension that he got, um, you know, less than a year and a half ago. Three quick points. One, you'd sort of be surprised if there wasn't a degree of self-preservation mode. I think it would be more shocking if it was still kumbaya in the building between front office, coaching staff, locker room. I think some sort of that is to be expected, and I wouldn't be surprised if it's now starting to ramp up given uh, that these games mean absolute diddly uh, from this point forward. Two, I don't think there would be a decision in terms of change that would be unjustified, whether it's moving on from one of the three, two of the three, or even rebuilding completely from scratch and, and building from the ground up and blowing it all up. And then finally, it's, it always is annoying to have to eat money on a contract, but let's not pretend that this is anything other than a drop in the bucket for Jody Allen and whoever's ultimately making these choices in terms of paying out the remainder of Pete Carroll's contract. Ideal, bad PR, or unideal and bad PR, sure, but not necessarily something that I, I, it can't, that can't be the end all be all when it comes to making this decision. No, I, I agree with you. And this comes back to like a, what should happen and what we think logically would happen for Paul Allen. I, yeah, that would be a drop in the bucket. I just don't know if it, that there's any sort of reservoir of decision-making that we can look at with Jody Allen and say, yeah, that's how she's going to handle it. Yeah. She's shown a willingness to, um, you know, do this versus do this. So I just, I guess it goes back to my point of like, we just know relatively so little about Jody Allen. We certainly, you know, she's been in this role since, you know, midway through the 2018 season, but she hasn't guided the team through an offseason like this where, you know, they're five and whatever they end up or, you know, however many wins they end up with. So we just we just don't know how she is going to to navigate through this. And, yeah, for somebody, you know, like that wealthy that you could afford it. But we just don't know what her willingness to do that to eat that money will be. Boys, let's talk about some of the individual performances. I know we'll get to the taco time who was doing some work. In a, in a few moments, and each of us will pick a player of the game, even in a loss. But some uh, some interesting performances just from the standpoint of future or lack thereof, and it all starts with Rashad Penny, another in a, uh, a handful now of three or four games where he has stood out. I think it was 17 carries, Joe, 135 yards and a touchdown. We had all thought that the Seahawks were playing out the string with Rashad Penny and he'd be somewhere else next year. Is there any chance that he's working his way back into the conversation for 2022 in the Seahawks? There's a chance, but it's still going to be a one-year prove-it deal. I just don't see any way where any team gives him a multi-year contract. You know, even you look at uh, a week ago, 
yes, he returned, but he left the game briefly and then had to be, you just, I just don't know how you can have faith that uh, he is going to, to make it through a 17 game season. So I think it's a chance uh, it's possible, uh, but uh, it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be something that's super lucrative. Yeah, it's, it's a lot easier for me to imagine that now than it was three weeks ago. I mean, he's had two uh, his two the two best games of his career in a three week stretch and he has stayed healthy. You know, I, I guess he's had to come out of the game briefly, uh, but no injuries that have actually kept him out for an extended period of time. So, yeah, I, I'm with Joe. If, if it's going to happen, it's going to be like a one year prove it deal. But. You know, look at what happened with the running back market this past offseason. Chris Carson, who by that point had had a couple thousand yard seasons under his belt, he got a two year deal worth, I think, around ten point five million dollars. So that's not a whole lot. And if that if that was the market for a much, much more accomplished running back in Carson, well, imagine how cheap it might be to re-sign Penny uh, this offseason, a guy who was, you know, missed almost uh, as many games or I can't even remember what the total is, but um my point is, it would probably be pretty cheap, and if it's a one-year, you know, flyer with very little guaranteed money, then why not? I mean, seriously, why not? Now, whether you re-sign him or not, the Seahawks have to get a running back this offseason whose health is not in question at all. I get that that's easier said than done with running backs because of the position, but right. you've got Penny and his injury history. You've got Carson and his injury history coming off neck surgery. So you've got to get a guy that you feel really good about. And if you do that, then yeah, yeah maybe you bring Brashad Penny back on a flyer, flyer deal. Joe, let's talk about Carlos Dunlap for the third consecutive week. Another huge game. It looked like he had forced a fumble, which turned out to be an incomplete I think he had two additional sacks. He had some pass pressures. He's playing like the player that they that they thought they acquired from Cincinnati uh, over a year ago. Is the future in Seattle changing as we watch it right in front of our eyes on Carlos Dunlap? Now, I think he's got one year left on his deal at about four, four and a quarter, something at four 5. and a half. Five point one million. What is it? What is it? Five point one million. Five point one million. Money. Okay, non-guaranteed. Uh, are we just now? Watching like the the renaissance of number eight. Yeah, uh, pass rushers are too hard to come by, as this team very well knows. To let him walk, there's just you don't have anyone else in your locker room that can go get you five sacks in a matter of two games. And so, you know, whether he had to have a fire lit under his ass a bit to to kind of get back to where he needed to be. I know he he made comments about not enjoying his playing time, but. It's certainly something sparked, something has changed, something has shifted in terms of his production on a snap-to-snap basis. And so, yes, uh, the number is not uh, big enough to where you're going to pinch pennies there and say, let's go find a pass rusher elsewhere and add it to our uh, off-season to-do list that's already you know, getting longer, it feels like, by the, the minute, by the week at least. I, I guess I want to know, Brady, how do I know as a Seahawks fan what I'm getting to start the season next year? How do we know we're getting the Carlos Dunlap from these last three or four games and not the Carlos Dunlap that was invisible for the first seven or eight next year? Yeah, that, that's a fair point. And he'll be 32 years old next season. And, you know, I, I think I think some, I'd, I'd have to go back and look at the individual plays, but I think a couple of these sacks, he's got, what, six now in the last four games, something crazy like that. Um, I think a couple of them, he's taken advantage of facing a backup uh, right tackle a couple times. Um, I think including on Tuesday uh, against the Rams and then again Sunday. So maybe you factor in 
the caliber of opponent um, and his age, but he is still, I mean, I, I, I don't say that to discount what he's done because he has been on quite the tear lately. And you have two of the plays that he made against San Francisco on what seven snaps uh, really helped them win that game. And so I, I think that there may be a question. And, and I wonder if part of the reason why his playing time dipped as much as it did for a time this season was, I wonder if he maybe doesn't fit ideally what they want to do with their new defensive front. But if it's $5.1 million dollars, and he's producing like he has of late. I think that's that's a low enough number and a high enough amount of production that you could justify just keeping him in a situational third down role where the scheme stuff that you do on early downs doesn't really matter. Just to piggyback on that, yeah, for five five and change, it's no you, know, you don't know. It's yeah. a good, it's a fair question you ask, but for five and change, it's yeah. worth bringing him back regardless and seeing what it ends up being. One of the off season um, drama subplots whatever you want to call them, um, was should they do a new deal for Dwayne Brown? They did not. They gave him something, a little Scooby snack to make him happy. He came back and he he played in the final year of his contract. Are they breathing a, a bit of relief? Is there a bit of relief that they didn't do an extension? Is he still playing the caliber of football at left tackle, Brady, that he has up until this point? And what might they do about Dwayne Brown? Are they going to be shopping for a new left tackle next year? I could see that being a situation where they go into it with an open mind and and say, let's look at what the market is like. I think he's at a point in his career where they just don't feel a need to get that deal done early, and they're going to see what what it's going to cost. I know going back to the uncertainty over the offseason that you mentioned, you know, they just felt like he's at a point in his career at 36 years old with the knee situation being what it is that, you know, he basically has to have his practice workload managed quite a bit throughout the season that just felt like it was best to go year to year. So I think that approach meant that it's not a close the they haven't closed the door on him coming back next season, but they're going to go year to year and basically see what it's going to cost in free agency as opposed to making a massive commitment now. In terms of how he's playing, I I, I have not looked at the, like the pass block win rate numbers, uh, which is something that I, I use as not the end all be all, but something of a reference point. So I don't have an idea, a recent idea there. What I do know is he's been committing what it seems like quite a bit of penalties lately. There was the false start. Um, in this game, I think there was another one on Tuesday. And so um, I don't know if that has anything to do with age, but it, it does. It is a matter of how he's playing overall. And there do seem to be more penalties of late than, than there had been. Let's finish up this uh, edition of the Seahawks note table in the wake of a 25 to 24 loss to the Bears presented by Taco Time and Taco Time Northwest. Joe, you start. I know they lost, but there are two or three candidates, maybe more, that up until the very end were in position to be key contributors to a Seahawks win. You get the pick of the litter. What do you think? I'll take the pick of the litter. Real quick, I want to add, Dwayne Brown, while they might be breathing a sigh of relief to a degree they didn't give him a monster extension prior to the season, they might be regretting not giving Quandre Diggs the extension he was seeking going into the year now that he is a pro bowler um, and is going to, to to be expensive now to bring back if he is to be brought back. Again, we talk about what's on the offseason to-do list and what are the big questions facing this team. Well, they only had two pro bowlers and only one's under contract next year. So that's sort of where this team is at in terms of there are far more questions than answers Huge. as it pertains to the future. Huge. Uh, you're right. Uh, there are a number of guys who – 
but I know where you're going to go based on your social media feeds uh, on the Twitterverse. I'm going to go with Gerald Everett, four catches, 68 yards and a touchdown. Uh, I think it's pretty evident outside of the one just nightmare game he had uh, against the Niners. He's been pretty damn good for this football team. Really everything I think you could have hoped for given how bad the passing game overall has been in terms of a lack of volume and overall consistent success, no matter who we're talking about, Gerald Everett's been been pretty darn good and I think been w- worthy of the $6 million he was paid this offseason, maybe comparatively speaking to, to what they didn't get from Greg Olson a year ago. So I like I like Gerald Everett. I think, again, he's another, another player you have to really look long and hard at bringing back. So far, it does, do you have anything in Colby Parkinson? Haven't seen it yet. Uh, and, and is Will Disley just not the same dude following the two catastrophic injuries? It looks to be that way. Gerald Everett feels like a really crucial piece to bring back. And so, Gerald Everett? Gerald Everett was doing some work. For Taco, now, you don't point out that he had a false start on fourth and one that made fourth and one, fourth and six. That was a crucial moment. And by the way, I'm not, I'm not taking the opposing side. I think that uh, Gerald Everett has been a really fine football that was brutal. player. Fine Certainly. football player, not. And by the way, can I point out because it's it's my shtick to do it on the touchdown pass to to Gerald Everett, a little play action, roll the guy out, get on the edge, get him away from the offensive line, easy pitch, easy catch, touchdown. They didn't call one of those plays against the Rams in thirty five pass plays. You guys explain that. To me, go ahead. We should start the unfiltered Mitch for offensive coordinator uh, campaign. Oh, what I do immediately. What I think I would roll. I would roll out number three at least three to five times, maybe more. A game. Let him get on the edge with his legs and make something happen. Sorry. Go ahead, Brady Henderson, ESPN, ESPN.com. Gerald Everett's off the board, but you got a lot of other candidates. Go ahead. No, th- there's no need to apologize. I I, I agree with you. Uh, and uh, there was another, I can't remember who it was too, but I tweeted about it and I, I tagged you in the tweet because I was thinking, my goodness, Mitch must be beside himself right now with a, an actual design rollout that, that worked. And that was before the Everett one. I, I wish I could remember who it was too, but I think you're right. I think they should give you... Uh, uh, a, a headset right now. They don't have to plug it into anything. You can just sit there and, uh, you, you know, plug it into call plays on your own. Oh, but God. no, I, I think you're right. Um, now, who was doing work? Uh, now, Joe, we, we obviously talked about Penny and Dunlap. So I'll let Mitch uh, basically rehash everything we just said about those guys. And I'll pick another guy. What? That what? Maybe, what? maybe wasn't the, the big star of the game, but was doing some work. And that is Rasheem Green. That was uh, my guy. Oh, Mitch, I, Mitch guy. I tried to save him for you. Oh. Mitch, I tried to save him for you. With friends like you who needs enemies. Go ahead, Brady. Go ahead. Two more sacks in this game. That gives him 6.5 on the season. Brady, unrestricted free agent. Yes. Unrestricted free agent on a team that could use some young pass rushers. He, time in. and t- How are they going to get him back? Somebody's going to give him some money, no? Well, I could see that happening, yeah. And, and if I asked you guys how old do you think Rasheem Green is, a guy who was drafted in the third round in 2018, what would you guess? So this I is his fourth year. 25, 24, 26? He's only 24, yeah, which is very young for a guy who's in his fourth Jeez. season. I think he was 20 when the Seahawks drafted him. So a, t- a 24-year-old player, Definitely. pass rusher, who's coming off a six-and-a-half sack season, if not more, whatever he can get 
get in does the he play games. does he play both on the edge and inside does he move do they yes. move him yeah i mean how how does that guy not make a bunch of money during the off 24 years old who's good you know who's kind of an up and coming pass rusher who can play multiple positions on the defensive line i would think that 15 teams would want a guy like that yeah, and you know there hasn't been like a ton of production over the you know his first three seasons, so it, I think some teams could look at that and say you know buyer beware. But twenty four years old plays a premium position, had a pretty good contract year, so yeah, I, okay. I could see him getting some money in free agency. Well, that was my guy. So I'll just give. I'll just. Wait, wait, you, do you have something to say, Brady? Me? About, no. Yeah, you have something to say about Rasheem Green? Yeah, I said it already. No, no, you didn't. You really didn't. Oh, Rasheem Green was doing some work. Thank you very much, Brady. Um, I'll, I'll split my doing some and work uh, between Rashad. I mean, come on, Rashad Penny, 17 carries, 135. I was going to do Rasheem Green, but you took him from me. And I guess that we got we to gotta point out Penny. We've already pointed out Penny and Dunlap. So I'll split my taco time doing some work between Penny and Dunlap as the Seahawks fall to 5 and 10. On the, I, I can't even hardly believe I'm saying it. Five and ten on the football season. Anything, any pearls of wisdom? Brady, you got anything non-football, non-Seahawks to say? You get the you get the final the final call. Um, no pearls of non-football wisdom, but I, I do think it's worth pointing out that, you know, look, the Seahawks did play on Tuesday, uh, and I think a lot of people would wonder how much that might have impacted them in this game. I asked Pete Carroll that he said not a factor at all. And that he pointed to the fact that they didn't really have anybody suffer any uh, injuries of note in this game. And his point in saying that was that that's the type of thing that would happen if you felt like your guys weren't physically ready, that they'd be more susceptible to getting hurt um, on a quick turnaround like this. And so I guess the good news there is for them is that they didn't have anybody with any notable injuries coming out of this game. But um, According to Pete Carroll, he, he really did not think that the sh- quick turnaround was a factor in this one. Joe, in the market for a new kicker next year? Seahawks? In the market for a new lot of things next year. Is a kicker one of them? It has to be. Okay. has to be. Yeah. You can't bring a guy back oh, with, the, with the money oh. he's making oh. after as bad as this season. It, this season's been a failure for Jason Myers. That's it, ladies and gentlemen. The Seahawks no table. We tell it like it is. It is. It was Mitch unfiltered. I think it's now unfiltered Mitch. Yeah. Yep. Um, Brady Henderson. The Seahawks not able to the beat the Bears. Seahawks not able to beat the Bears. Brady Henderson, ESPN, ESPN.com. Thank you, Brady. Have a good week. Happy New Year. All right. Thanks. Same to you guys. And my man, Joey, Joey Vegas, Joey, Fe- who was here and now he's back. I kind of like it when he's here, but he's back where he's got to be in Las Vegas. Joey fan on the Seahawks note table. Thank you, Joey. Hey, I'll be a free agent in, uh, you know, a year and. And in uh, eight months. So you come ready with the contract. I'll be back up there. Yes. So. And ladies and gentlemen, there's the Seahawks note table. It's time to catch up with Katie Versio, senior financial planner, Evergreen Golf Call, just in time to probably make me look silly for the holidays. Hi, Katie. Hi, Mitch. Thanks for having me. Here we go. I'm ready for my holiday version of the trivia contest. We're going to get three questions, and I'm going to go three for three. What's the theme this time around? The theme today is a year-end market recap. So we're going to talk about what happened in the market from January through the end of November. Got it. All right. I'm ready for question number one. All right. So what was the biggest market pullback So from when the market peaked to trough that we had in 2021? Was it down 2%, 5%, 10%, or 14%? Hmm. 
I'll say either five or ten. I'll go ten percent, Katie. Sorry, it was only down 5% back in September. There was just a small pullback. So this year, there hasn't been too much volatility. In December, we've actually seen about the same level of volatility just in the first few trading days. But the first 11 months were pretty smooth. Okay, I'm 0 for 1, which brings us to question number two. How much was the stock market or the S&P 500 up for the entire year? So from January through the end of November. Was it up 10%, Big. Yeah. 17%, 22%, or 29%? Gosh, I don't think it was up 29%, but it was up big. I'll, I'll go I'll go 17 as opposed to 22. It was actually up 22% through the first 11 months of the year. It's down a little bit now. Like I mentioned, we've had a little more volatility, but it's, but it's been a good year. Uh. Which brings us to question number three and my last chance to at least go one for three and bat 333, which is good in baseball, but not good for Evergreen Golf Call Trivia. Go ahead, Katie. All right. How much has the price of oil increased from January through November? Oh, no. <clears throat> is it up 20%, 32%, 37%, or 41%? I, have, I don't watch oil. I have no idea. It's got to be one of the middle two because it always is. So I'll go 30. What were the middle two? 32 and 30. 37? I'll That's go, right. I'll go 37. Well, I tricked you with that one. Oh, uh, no. It's actually up 41%. So the price of oil uh, of a barrel has gone from $48 at the end of 2020 to $68 at the end of November. <sighs> Another 0 for 3. Another collar, as they like to call it. For Mitchie the Kid on Evergreen Golf Call Trivia. But that doesn't mean I don't love Katie and I don't love our partnership with Evergreen Golf Call. We do. They've been there since the beginning. Evergreen Golf Call is everything wealth. Unfiltered. The state champs out of Washington. We've had nine lead changes today. They're looking for a 10th. Thrown to the end zone. It's caught! Touchdown! Graham Kapowson with one second left. Steven Mars has kept the perfect season intact. I'm really excited, really excited to introduce our next guest on Mitch Unfiltered. He coaches his Eagles. The Graham Kapowson Eagles to, I don't know, something of a national championship. The state's best high school team proudly and successfully represented Washington in a thrilling last-second win against national power and Georgia 7A state champions Collins Hill. Here's Eric Curley on the uh, on the show. Hi, Eric. Hi, how are you? We're excited to be on the show. Well, thank you for having me. It's great to have you. Congratulations and happy holidays. What an amazing experience that must have been for you and your guys. It was incredible. I mean, we got the nice win of winning a state title. Um, three weeks before that, we got the uh, call from ESPN and Geico that with the possibility you guys might get to play, but you had to win the cert state title. So we had to kind of tell our kids early, just make sure they're not gone for Christmas break. They were all excited, but we didn't want them to get too excited. So we had to win that state title first. And then they got that done, check that box. And then we got the opportunity. We had to wait another week to find out who we we're going to play. Wow. Um, 
And then we get Collins Hill and went, oh boy, okay, the Georgia boys, I mean, they're big, they're, you know, they're fast, they're quick, number one recruit in the nation. But, you know, our kids, our kids are just tough kids. And they're not kids, they're men. Our kids play like men, they uh, physical, they play nasty, and there is no scare in our kids. And uh, they wanted that challenge. You know, we get off the bus first time we see them and they're yelling at us, they go home, <laughs> West Coast can't hang with us. You guys are this, that, that, go home. And I just fired our kids up to play at another level. That's awesome. Do me a favor. Start from the beginning. I'm moderately educated about your program. You started the program, what, in about 2005, 2006? You're the only coach in school history. Every time I turn around up here in Seattle, I hear about offensive linemen and great players at Graham Kapowski. But then I look you up. What's the deal? This was your first state. I I figured you were going to come on and you're going to tell me you were a six time, seven time state champion. How is this uh, coach? Eric Curley's only his first state title. How's that possible? Yeah. You know what? Things got (laughs) to fall the right way. I tell you what, we got lucky with some great kids this year. We've had great kids a lot of times and things just didn't go the right way. We've made a playoffs every year that we've been open, but just didn't fall the right way to get to that uh, state title championship. And these kids stepped up and got it done. And, you know, you got to have the kids. You don't say how great coaches are and whatever it is. Yeah. Kids got to get it done on the field. And uh, we just try not to mess them up. And we didn't mess <laughs> them up enough this year. You sure didn't. I see where you won the final of the state championship game over Lake Stevens, 44-7. to Is this right that your average – margin of victory coach was 41 points you guys didn't play in a close game all year this game against georgia we'll get there in a second this is the first close game you even played in all year right yes first time we didn't uh play our backups i mean we had a little uh, i think quarterfinals bothell played us tough but we still i think won by 17 or 18 yeah um but for the most part the first time in, in, in the challenge everyone says you know, are you going to be able to do it when it's adversity and, and battles going on? And uh, it was crazy. Yeah. It was crazy. Yeah. So explain this to me. In this day and age of social media, Coach, you know, when I went to school a million years, you and I are about the same age. When we went to high school a million, we didn't know about teams from other states. We hardly knew about teams from other counties, for God's sakes. Now you, you got social media, Collins Hill, number one player in the country. We know the story going to Jackson State instead of Alabama or Florida State or something like that. What would you say is the, the the baseline knowledge that you have? Do you guys know about Collins Hill when you hear that you're going to be playing them in Vegas? Well, the kids sure did. I don't even have a Twitter. So, I mean, our, <laughs> kids, our kids just looked at that stuff and, and kind of knew it. Like when we were playing – you're lucky if you saw on the weekend a Friday night down at the doing the car cruise down there, the guys next door, right. The rivals. So, right. Um, but it was exciting. Our kids knew about how great those great football player they had the number one guy in the nation. But um, I kind of looked it up. I can Google, I can do the, I can get that <laughs> stuff done and looked it up. And I said, Oh boy, this is going to be one heck of a game. But I also knew our kids would battle. And that was what excited me to got get the opportunity to go down there. Our kids, they, they just feel like they can play with anybody. Okay, we get to the game. We've got a great game. It's going back and forth. And as I understand it, I saw some of the highlights. They throw a wide receiver screen type of play inside of a minute out to this guy, Travis Hunter, and I want to get your thoughts on him. And he just, his athleticism just jumps off the screen at you. He just takes it, I don't know, 65, 70, 75 yards against you into the end zone. And it looks like they're going to beat you 
because they they score with about 30 seconds to go. But somehow you guys get back into position uh, where you make the game's final play. Before we get to the final play, how'd you get the ball in such a short amount of time out to the 32 or down to the 32 of Collins Hill, coach? Well, I mean, they scored and we only had 32 seconds left. I mean, they made the play late on us. They, that Travis Hill or Travis um, Hunter, Hunter, Travis Hunter is an incredible athlete. He can hang in, uh, up in the air, catch the ball at all levels. He's got his balance and his awareness in the air is incredible. He, I see why he wants to go play for Dion. He's a lot like Dion there. So we went in the huddle and we say, Hey, look, we, we, let's go finish this thing. And our quarterback, Josh yep. Wood is just incredible, calm, poised. And he just put those kids on his back and our receivers made some plays. I think we completed four or five um, pass plays there. Just to get down. We wanted to get in field goal range at least, but we always have a backside situation where he put him to told him to go backside posts and he, he scrambled up to his left and just met, threw a dart down the field. And, and Steven Martz is usually a defensive back plays some of our receiver sets and just made a big play. And Steven's made, you know, probably let's say 10 or 12 catches this whole career, but I say seven or eight of them were touchdowns or wow. you know, they were just big plays. Wow. I read that. So it's a 32 yard touchdown strike with one second to go. We'll talk about Joshua in a, in a second. And you just mentioned it. Mars is in the game. He normally plays defense, but he's in the game as a wide receiver because you had an injury maybe earlier in the yeah. game that put him in. He wouldn't have been in on that play. What do you have? No, I mean, he rotates some, but uh, Jabez Woods, the sophomore kid who's started and had, you know, three or four catch in that game was hurt for uh, that moment. So when Steven came in, we had all confidence in the world. And Steven, we just feel like depth wise, we're better to get him on defense and Jabez on offense. And uh, he just made, made, made the play. And yeah. Uh, yeah. it was great for him because on the pass before that they scored on, he was the corner oh, out there and he stepped oh. aside. So it's a great thing for him to overcome that disappointment and then come back and make wow. the great play. Wow. You and I are both old enough to remember, Coach, when everyone thought that football was won in the trenches, that skilled positions are great, but the old Don James teams, dominant offensive and defensive lines, win the day. That doesn't seem to be the case anymore. And you guys, now I know you guys got good skill position players. We're going to talk about a couple of them. We already talked about a couple of them. But you're kind of a throwback in that regard when you start taking your team to play some of these national power teams from other parts of the country. Or am I wrong about that? You've got that great offensive and defensive lines in the trenches. Well, it's kind of funny how that came power. We, we, just got turf field to practice on. So we're in the mud and, and grind by the end of the year. And um, the opportunity, I've always thought like, okay, we've always had good football teams, skilled kids, linemen, but right. we can develop that run game and be great in that. Cause it's hard to get timing passing the ball late in the year. If you don't have a turf field to practice on, we just got that. And we haven't lost a game since it was 20 straight. Now I think it is the shortened season when COVID last year and this year, mm -hmm. um, 1920, whatever it is that we haven't lost since we got that turf field and it's made us more dynamic. Yes. We have the great line an incredible line and that's what we hang our hats on, but the, the skilled kids can now show a little bit more and we can work that timing. And that showed at into that game, we ran the ball early, pounding on them, keeping on. We didn't get great yards. We got some just enough to wear them down. And then we, our skilled kids made big plays to win that football game. for and, us. And let me just point out for our listeners who don't follow it closely, that this Graham Kapowson team that won by an average of 41 points, won the state title, 
went off to face this 7A state Georgia champion team. Let me just explain to our listeners. This team that they beat the other night has guys going to Tennessee, guys going to Missouri, guys going to West Virginia, guys going to Georgia. The number That doesn't even include the number one player in the country who could have gone anywhere he wanted, and he's going to Jackson State. Now, Joshua Wood made the play. He's kind of an underrated quarterback in the national sense. I read somewhere where he was Eastern Washington bound, but coach, now this exposure and this success on the big stage might give him some opportunities maybe for some other FBS teams, maybe a, a Pac-12 offer is in the works. What do you, what can you tell us about your quarterback and where he might be? Yeah, I mean, he, he's very underrated. Um, Eastern Washington, a great program. They have great quarterbacks, made CFL, NFL, mm-hmm. and school kids, Cooper Cup, yep. some great football players. So I think he's he loves Eastern Washington, but there is opportunities out there. Schools have contacted now. We'll wait and see. That's why he didn't commit in January to them. He wanted to wait till February. He kind of bet on himself that he's going to have a great game and he can hear and see what's out there. Now, does he still commit with Eastern Washington? He could. I mean, they're a great program, and we've had great players go there, but he could be end up at WSU, UCLA, Cal. There's some schools that have reached out since this game. So we'll see what happens. He's just dynamic, calm, and poised. Mm-hmm. But the other thing is he's still got – someone can take a flyer on him, and he has he's just going to improve even more than what he is now. You can't make a kid be able to win, and he can win. You know, he can win the football game. He knows how to win. He knows how to put people. He knows how to lead. So, you you know, that maybe his throwing motion isn't perfect or his strength, whatever they're saying, but I don't see it. I mean, I see a kid who can throw it down the field, make plays with his feet or arm, and he can lead a group of kids. And that's what a quarterback is. You know, he's going to lead those men to, to a win. Well, Coach, what's what's next for Graham Kapowski? I mean, you – how do you top that? You should have retired. You should be announcing on Mitch Unfiltered. Mitch, I'm here to announce my retirement. Al McGuire, go out on top. You won your state title. You beat Georgia on national television. You did it in dramatic way. You can't top this, coach. You can only go down from here, right? Yeah, yeah, I guess you're right, but I'm excited <laughs> for the next group. I, I I love the opportunity just to coach kids and be part of it. You know, everyone says over these years, yeah, this everyone wants to win a state title and win a big bowl game. And everyone's saying, well, yeah, you haven't won that big game. You haven't won that game. Well, yeah. that's, I mean, if I'm doing it because i got to win a state title, then I'm doing it for the wrong reasons. Right. I played for Frosty Western and played for Mike Heward at Piala. Sure. Some incredible coaches throughout my career from youth coaches to high school. And they loved coaching. And that's what I do. I love coaching, working with kids. Yes. Do we all want to win a state title? Yes. Do we all want to win a bowl game? Yes. But that opportunity just to get the next group of kids, you know, and our kids are been in the weight room already they're ready to go and they, i mean they saw what these kids success they had and they want to be part of that we lose a lot of kids but we have good kids under it we have good, great c team and great jv team so hopefully we can keep it going do, do you know anything about the new coaching staff at washington coach you know kalen DeBoer at all do you think that the washington's in good hands at that point when when are we going to start seeing graham kapow's and kids play in, in montlake in coming years I've, I've heard great things about um the new coach um, I know Coach Hopley rehired. I really respect him, and he's recruiting our old lineman. I've heard only good things about the new staff, good. and I'm excited to see what they're going to do and, and watch them work their magic, getting a group together to come in there and see how they respond this spring, getting ready for the season. Next. Hey, Coach, congratulations. Uh, this is a great, great thrill for you, your family, your kids, the district, the school. 
I know that you came to that school when it didn't exist or a football program that didn't exist in 20, 2005. And here you are in 21 state champions and on some level national champions. So congratulations. What a thrill for me to have you on Mitch Unfiltered. I wish you and all of you guys over there a happy holidays and a terrific new year. Thanks so much for being with us. Thanks, Mitch. Thanks for having me, bud. Let's catch up with the Zeke's Pizza president, Dapper Dan Black, who joins us back on the Zeke's Pizza Hotline. How are we doing, Dan? How are Zeke's Pizzas doing? Well, obviously, I'm looking good, given my nickname. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> uh, yeah, no, and Zeke's is doing well. Post-COVID, it's fun being open, having dining rooms open again. Pickup and delivery is still going good. People are ordering pizza, they're ordering beer, so yeah, it's fun. You know, Kraken fever is at a high, high pitch. Everybody's loving the Kraken. Everybody's loving Climate Pledge Arena. And the first ever location that I went to of Zeke's was that Belltown location. I would imagine that's a good spot pre and post game Kraken. Yes? Oh, yeah, it's been awesome. We love the Kraken, uh, especially at that spot. You know, you mentioned the Belltown restaurant. It's got a great bar. I mean, it's like we always talk about. We have a really awesome Pacific Northwest beer list, but we've got cocktails, wine everything you want in the full beer. So yeah, that location has been really lively before the game, the restaurant and bars packed out and then post game as well. We stay open late on cracking nights. And so the bar fills up after the games, people just want to keep the party going and, and we're happy to do it with them. It's now, fun. You, now you told us about Spokane the last time you were on the show. What are we doing? We got a couple of newbies coming to Western Washington, I understand. Yeah, we're swinging hammers in Spokane. It's getting close. Uh, but then, yeah, we got a couple on the west side here, too, that are that are within striking distance. Uh, Mill Creek up north uh, is going to be coming online relatively soon. And then White Center as well, closer into the city. And yeah, we expect them both to be really fun. The one in White Center is right in with Beer Star and stuff. So it's going to be a really cool location. And what's the black family holiday choice in terms of orders? Yeah, for whatever reason, when it gets cold, we start to go a little bit more spicy on our end. So. We're still drinking those fresh hop IPAs, so lateral A, but then the pizzas we're ordering that go good with them are the Cherry Bomb and the Dragon, which are kind of two of our classics. Both got a little kick to them, so nice. that's what we've been ordering. Gotta love Zeke's Pizza. Great partner of mine going back to the radio days, and Dan Black has been incredibly kind to us. Zeke's Pizza, homegrown in the Northwest. Unfiltered. Originally, I wanted to do a film on the Bee Gees, um, but by the time I got to the idea, there was already one in process, right? Um, but in sort of digging around the Bee Gees stuff, I discovered this guy, Robert Stigwood. Mitch Unfiltered continues. No, I'm not Mitch. He decided to hand the keys to the studio over to me so I can talk to our next guest. I, I wanted Mitch to interview this director about this documentary, and after the 47th question I sent him to ask, he said, why don't you just do the interview? So here I am. And when I saw the trailer for Mr. Saturday Night on HBO Max, I thought this documentary was being made just for me. It's got Saturday Night Fever, the Bee Gees, John Travolta, the disco scene in New York in the mid-70s. I could not be more grateful that director of the documentary, John Maggio, is kind enough to join us and to confirm whether or not they did in fact make this just for me. Hi, John. <laughs> Scott, you, you, you got it. You figured it out. I can't believe it. We made it just for you. Thank you. I, I do appreciate that. So... 
Oh, man. <laughs> so you started out making a documentary about the disco scene in the 70s, which I would have been in on as well. And then you noticed that one name kept popping up as the person who appeared to be behind all of it named Robert Stigwood. He's not really a household name these days. So tell us what you found during your research that made you say, wait a sec, we may have to focus on the Stigwood guy. Yeah, it was exactly that. I mean, Bill Simmons from The Ringer and I were talking about, um, you know, doing a film about music and what, what I was what was I interested in. And it's like, you know, focusing in on that period, because I remember it as my older brothers. I've got three older brothers were really into the disco scene. I was too young at that time. But I remember looking up to them and being like, you know, the, the polyester clothes and yeah. the feathering in the hair and that whole thing. And what I discovered was when I looked at, at that, I, I was very familiar with that hippo and the RSO label, but I had no idea what RSO meant. So I dug a little deeper <laughs> and literally was like, oh, Robert Stigwood. Yeah. And then suddenly a whole world burst upon me. Not mm. only was he the Bee Gees and the producer of Saturday Night Fever in Greece, but Evita, uh, you know, uh, he managed the Who, also one of my favorite bands, Cream. I um, mean, it was just sort of like this cavalcade of information about a guy that I should have known about, yeah. but nothing about, literally knew nothing. And so for me, that became the premise of a great film and a great vehicle to tell the story of the 70s and the music scene and the disco scene at that time. So Robert Stigwood wants to make a studio movie musical based on a magazine article about disco that stars a TV sitcom star. He wants the one-time teenage vocal group, the Bee Gees, to be prominently featured on the soundtrack. Oh, a soundtrack, by the way, that the movie studio wanted nothing to do with. All during disco's decline. And the movie didn't initially test well with audiences. Having researched all of this as much as you have, what's your opinion on why this thing eventually just blew up? Not only the movie, but the soundtrack as well. You know, Scott, if I knew that, I would be Robert Stigwood. <laughs> That's right. No, I mean, I don't know why. You know, it's an interesting thing. There, there are a couple, like, you know, when you, when you, you know, we have enough critical distance at, on the moment to sort of like really sort of try to understand it. And I think it starts with Stigwood's coming to America to begin with. I mean, he was an Australian entrepreneur, went to the UK, found success, but only found so much success. I think recognized all the money he made off the backs of these other artists wouldn't bring him into that kind of British society, right? Yeah. You can't buy your way into that. But he comes to America and there's like a, there was like a chemical reaction. His gambler instincts, his money, you know, because he was bankrolling a lot of these projects. Um, uh, and that sort of, like I said, that gambler in him just took off and he just started, you know, and, and I think it was also at a moment where he recognized that youth culture was changing the way, changing the face of the audiences, the way cinema was being made. Um, there was a younger audience since Woodstock that wanted content. Right. And I think we also recognize this wasn't, you know, disco discos that he loved, by the way, because as we say in the film, the origins were the gay black underground. Mm -hmm. And as a closeted gay man himself, he was discovering discos in Paris and in Rio and places he went as a place where he could go be himself. Disco was about liberation. And I think he was drawn to that. So he saw, so again, there were all these little cultural moments coming together. What his genius was, was to take all those threads and pull them together and bring them into this movie. Now, also, you could say this magazine article was this, was sort of like the antithesis, the scene that Nick Cohn talks about in the magazine article yeah. was the antithesis of the message of disco because it was tribal and it was very much sort of keeping people out. But he saw what he saw again was that adolescent yearning. I think that Nick Cohn talks about in the um, in the magazine article and in the in the film. 
And I think that he just had a nose, as we say in the film. He had yeah. a great sense of smell, you know, and I can't explain it. Uh, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm probably around your age, and I remember the Bee Gees were mega stars. But when they were asked to contribute to the film, they weren't really able to sell records at that time. In fact, they broke up for a bit and then reconciled in 1970. And in 1974, they were playing little clubs. But by the time Fever comes out in 77, they were like in their late 20s, early 30s. Poor Morris, already losing his hair by then, not really pop star-esque. But, you know, their manager at the time, Robert Stigwood, believed in his group and he asked him to contribute to the soundtrack never ever thinking about using another act even butting heads with the director over the Bee Gees didn't he yeah he did he ended up firing that director <laughs> um, I think again the way I think that Stigwood was having a moment people have moments you know they yeah. see they're able to see the chessboard in a way that other people aren't the way other producers weren't Barry Gibb was in the same having the same moment mm. for whatever reason he wrote Jive Talking and then a series of like nine hits. It was as if he could not not write a hit right. all of a sudden. Yeah. And what what accounts for that? I don't know. They just, you know, people just sort of wake up if they stick with it long enough. You're writing a pop song is not an easy thing. I've tried. I no, was a musician. It isn't. <laughs> you know, and so this, and nor is making a hit, you know, multi-million dollar success of a movie. I think those two guys are having a moment. And, and they came together at just the right moment. And then you add another guy who was about to have a moment, Travolta, maybe at his best, right? Yeah. At that moment, you know, you watch those old Barbarino clips from Welcome Back, Cotter. He was funny. He had that thing that's really hard to describe, that, that uh, charisma, that big screen thing that, yep. you know, back then, you know, people didn't believe TV actors had. He had it all. So those three guys came together and just the right moment. You know, when Cameron Crowe made singles in the spring of 91, Paramount shelved it until Nirvana's Nevermind album exploded that fall. And then, of course, the studio scrambled to get it. We have a grunge movie around here somewhere, don't we? Put it on. So, But for Fever, it was the opposite, right? I mean, a lot of people think the movie kicked off the disco craze, but disco was actually struggling a bit when the movie came out. Did the movie makers ever think about pulling the plug on it because perhaps they missed the disco wave? I, I, I think for sure. I mean, I think, what, I think what happened with disco, to your point, is that in 1975, when Van McCoy and the Soul City Symphony put out The Hustle, yeah. that changed disco. That brought it into the mid, the mainstream. Secretaries were dancing. There were disco clubs all over. <laughs> and what, what happens with a great movement like that? It just it throws a wet blanket on it. So yep. by 76, 77, it's dying. And I think that Michael Eisner and the people at Paramount were not interested in it because of that. They didn't see the value. And what they liked was Greece. They liked the opportunity potentially of moving Greece, which was the second film in, in, um, in Travolta and Sigwood's deal. They had no idea what they had on their hands. Right. They got, it took no percentage of the soundtrack, which Crazy. is unbelievable. Stigwood self-financed it for three and a half million dollars, took 50% of the gross and kept negotiating even more theaters. I mean, he made a half a billion dollars off of that film. It's Jeez. like absolutely remarkable stroke stroke of genius on his part. And yeah, you're right. The, the studios didn't see it until they saw it. And then they then, then they took it and ruined it. Yeah, I mean, I'm from Seattle at some point that, you know, the, the suits ruined the grunge scene, too. It was not for them. It was for us. And, you know, they always just happens. Started, yeah, always, always happens. So. All right, I, I struggle with this bit apart, and I know that directors prefer to like let the audience decide things for themselves. So if you don't want to give an opinion on this, I respect that, but I have to ask. So the author of the article, Tribal Rights on Saturday Night, the article that inspired the movie and kicked it all off, was written by Nick Cohn for New York Magazine. Jim McMullen, an illustrator at the magazine, went along with Nick to a club called the 2001 Club and took a bunch of pictures for the article. 
After the movie and soundtrack explode, a guy named Tony Robinson comes out of the woodwork claiming to be the real Tony Monero. He says that Nick Cohn interviewed him at the club. The movie's based on his life. And he actually sued. Well, Nick Cohn then said, I made the whole thing up after the articles based on, not based on that club I visited. To me, it's a little convenient that to say he made it all up after the guy sues. So I'm wondering if you have an opinion on where the truth might lie. Well, uh, I, I tend to believe uh, the, the the theory that he just said it to get out of the lawsuit. Yeah. Okay. Um, because it was convenient. Nick Nick had a lot of other problems going on, um, lawsuits and things he was dealing with. Uh, actually, I think leading up to that that moment, and I think he just thought the easier way out was to say, "I made it all." Up. <laughs> right. Now, Who could prove that? Now, right. Now, Take it in his now, head. <laughs> yeah. No. In truth. In truth. There's no question he went to the club. Okay. He, he mingled around. Jim McMullen, you know, um, confirms that. Yeah, he's got the pictures, right? I mean, the pictures made it in the article. Exactly. So he definitely went. The thing that I, I will agree with Nick on is that, you know, he was part of that new journalism school, you know, of, of Gay Talese and Thomas Wolfe and those guys who did, you know, they brought fictional storytelling elements to uh, nonfiction stories. Yeah. We, they called it new journalism then. I don't know what you'd call it now, but it's right on the fence. Like he embellished a lot of those characters. He brought his own storytelling sense. So in a sense, I'm sure Nick could convince himself that oh, I made it up, you know, and, and, you know, and you, when you read the article, it reads too perfect, right. you know, like everything, you know, all the events are a little bit too, too perfect. So it's, it, it doesn't, it doesn't, for me, it, it, the, I'm not totally incredulous about that excuse that he made, but I think it was motivated by the lawsuit for sure. I think I just really want a real Tony Monero to exist. I mean, it, yeah. it'd be so great. Yeah. Like 40 years later, he retired from a sanitation job in the Bronx. You know, he's got a little chip on his shoulder. We can make yeah. this movie. I got the whole uh, whole premise for you if you'd like to buy it. Just let me know, all right? I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready to do it. Um, so it. I don't want to give away every mind-blowing thing I learned in this because people should just watch Mr. Saturday Night on HBO Max. It's fantastic. I don't know that it's possible for one to say a more 70s sentence than this. In Saturday Night Fever, John Travolta's choreographer was Danny Terrio from Dance Fever fame, who got the job after emulating the moves of Soul Train dancer Don Campbell while dancing to Cool in the Gang song Jungle Boogie at Robert Stigwood's house. Like, wow. So I guess my question is, did you know where Danny Terrio got the moves from before interviewing him for the documentary, or was this total news to you as well? Total news to me, but <clears throat> I don't know. To your point, we may be the same age, but I grew up on on uh, Dance Fever, same. Denny Terrio's show. Yep. I remember watching it. I think it was on like Saturday afternoons. My parents and I would critique it, you know, because it was a dance cut for, for your viewers, for your audience. It was a dance contest where people did disco dances, three couples, <clears throat> and they competed. And Denny Terrio would always do an incredible dance. And I thought, this guy's an amazing dancer. Yeah. So I knew he was involved with Saturday Night Fever when I reached out to him. Um, but no, I had no idea it was from Don Campbell. And if you look at Don Campbell in that footage, uh, it, for, for those of us, you know, rerun is yeah. in there. Do you remember rerun? I, I have it in my notes and I, I'm pretty sure that Tony Basil might be next to him. Oh, that may be that, but rerun Rerun's definitely in it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> He's back there clapping away. I, I yeah. always knew he was a dancer that, that got the sitcom gig as opposed to the other way around. So yeah, it was, it was so cool seeing, re but I'm watching those moves. I'm like, Oh my God, this is cause everyone can picture the solo in Saturday Night Fever with the pointing and, yeah. and there they are. There's a bunch of the moves that Danny Terrio just, just took from him. It was pretty incredible. Uh, no, totally. And the thing is, I think that people remember about that. I mean, his dancing is unbelievable. It in is. Volta, you know, he, he should have won the Oscar. Like it's just brilliant. It really is like for what he took on and what he did. I, I thought it was fascinating. 
Absolutely. But when you do, when you look at, when you look at Don Campbell, suddenly you're like, Oh my God, there they are. There are all those moves. (laughs) That's right. When I watched Travolta dance, all I could think of is torn MCL, torn ACL, like meniscus damage, like all those moves just hurt my knees as an ex football player. It's just, I can't even look at it barely. So, all right. So towards the end, there's a video of Robert Stigwood on his yacht and it's an incredible look into some of his very private personal life. So how did you learn that this footage exists and how did you get permission to use it? So we had worked pretty closely with, um, the estate, such as it is, and the RSO uh, RSO estate, the, the guy who runs it, uh, he'd mentioned some people we should talk to, and I believe he brought up one of these guys, uh, one of one of the beautiful boys that that Stigwood used to hang out with on that yacht, uh, who might have some footage. And it turned out he did. Wow. This, this this guy lived uh, in Bermuda, but he it was during COVID, and he didn't want to leave Bermuda. Mm-hmm. So if we wanted the footage, we had to go there and copy it all. <laughs> So, so my producers went there and we very got, worth uh, it, by the way. Right. I mean, we're on, we're yeah. on the next plane in. <laughs> yeah. They had a quarantine in Bermuda for a little while. Yeah. Um, we, we copied all the footage, got all the photos that he had. And that was the first time anybody's ever seen that other than these guys. Yeah. And what you do, you, it's true. It's very private footage of him, you know, at, at moments playing chess with the beautiful boys, yep. you know, as they say in the film, um, who he loved. And, um, but then there are those down moments where you see him kind of alone eating his uh, bangers and hash yep. with his HP sauce. And, um, you know, looking quite alone, Robert was an alcoholic. Um, I think having lived a closeted life to the public all those years, I think it took a toll on him for sure. So speaking of footage, having edited audio myself for 25 years, I can appreciate how long production can take. There's so much awesome footage in this. Stigwood walking into his office in the 70s, the disco dancing in the clubs, the Bay Ridge footage in Brooklyn, on and on. I can only imagine the process of tracking down all of that. I mean, the shots of Beverly Hills in the 70s, the smog almost looks livable. That was pretty cool to see, right? I mean, I mean it, this felt like a huge project for you. Yeah, it was. It was. And when I made, I made the decision from the beginning that I wanted it to be all archival. I wanted everybody, I wanted you to experience Travolta in his moment and all of the characters in their moments. So I knew it was going to be a big lift. We had a great team. I got to say that the, one of the other challenges in doing a film like this was that we were in the middle of a pandemic. So, you know, flying to Bermuda, as glamorous as that sounds, was tricky. We did have to quarantine. We had to do all that stuff. Archives were really slowing down their business. People weren't coming into the office. The fact that I couldn't be in the same room with my editor at times. Oh, yeah. um, but he's a great editor, Seth Bomsey. We were a long time. Uh, we, we, we worked together forever. So we were just bringing in as much archival as we can as we shaped the story. I knew the story I was I was interested in telling and that I was hearing. And then also doing some of the background interviews with someone like Nick Cohn was very hard to convince to be in the film mm. um, and was very paranoid about COVID. So, you know, so it's just doing these audio, sometimes just doing interviews over Zoom um, and bringing in a sound, a local sound man in LA because nobody could travel. So right. it was a logistical nightmare. Uh, but I think it, you know, paid off in the end. Personally, I didn't really care that Travolta wasn't in it. Cause I, I liked the interviews of him and the old stuff and he probably wouldn't give you much anyway, but did you reach out and what was his response if you did? Yeah, we did. Well, sadly, um, his wife had just died. Okay. Um, literally as we were in the middle of production Ah, okay. and, and, you know, we had gone to him, not just, you know, there's several different ways. Oftentimes with big stars, you sort of start, you, you know, you kind of make concentric circles around and figure out who knows him and doesn't. And, you know, we work closely with Bill Simmons, who has relationships with Jimmy Kimmel and others. So we, we had a good way in yeah. and they supported the project, but he was grieving, you know, and I, who, who can blame him? So, right. so we felt like we had enough of the archival stuff to hear, to get his voice in the film. Uh, but yeah, that was, that was the tragedy of the whole thing. 
I feel like I could road trip from Seattle to Orlando with you and never stop peppering you with questions about the documentary, but I will leave you alone until you make your next project, of course. It's called Mr. Saturday Night, a documentary on HBO Max. Go watch it. I I just scratched the surface of all the fascinating and entertaining info in it. There's Brian Epstein and the Beatles, Michael Eisner, Grease, the Grease soundtrack, Jesus Christ Superstar, Travolta's picture. I mean, it goes on and on. The the Fever soundtrack, the the, the deal that Sting would cut. I mean, it's Norman Wexler, that, that whole thing. It's so fascinating, this documentary. So what's next for John Maggio? And where can people find you if they want to say hello on social media? Uh, yeah, I'm on uh, I'm on Twitter. Uh, you can find me there and Instagram, I suppose. But uh, you sound a little regretful about it, like we all are. I think. <laughs> exactly. I sold my soul, and I'm on Twitter. But anyway. <laughs> yeah. um, but I'm working on um, a film for HBO right now, a political film. I just did, I just finished another film on the life of Gordon Parks, which is also streaming on HBO Max right now. And I'm doing a film on the Biden administration for HBO, and I'm doing another film for Apple right now that I can't really talk about, but um, okay. I'll be busy, but you'll see me on HBO again in the, in the spring, I hope, with uh, this new film that I'm working on. I'm excited about. Awesome. Well, thanks for doing this, and don't forget my idea about the real Tony Monero. I'm ready to make it anytime you're ready. Just give me a call, all right? Right on. <laughs> thanks, for, thanks for being on Mitch Unfiltered, John. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Time to catch up with my friend Lindsay Schwartz, the CEO of Daniel's Broiler. Lindsay, how are you, and how the holiday season's starting at my favorite steakhouse? Hey, Mitch, doing great. We had an awesome Thanksgiving. It was nice to see you there. And we're super excited for the month of December. It's going to be a really busy one for us. And it's the time of the season where we're always looking for stocking stuffers and Hanukkah gifts. You've got the famous Daniel's Mixers being sold not only on Amazon, but now in local stores. Yeah, just in time for the holidays. And it is perfect stocking stuffer, perfect holiday gift. Uh, We've got all four cocktail mixers, the Old Fashioned, the Lavender Martini, the Whiskey Sour, the Kentucky Mule, available on Amazon and now at QFC. Now, I'm not a huge drinker, but one night after you gave me samples on the golf course, we sat at the table tasting drinks in the mixers, and we've decided that the Levy family is partial to the Lavender Martini Mixer. What do you think about that? It's great, and we sell a ton of those in the restaurants. That's always been a really popular drink, as well as the old-fashioned. I I actually kind of like the uh, whiskey sour the best, but uh, everybody's different. Now you're offering a special deal to Mitch Unfiltered listeners like you did back on Father's Day. How do we get that deal, and what kind of deal do we get on these things? Yeah, we're going to do 10% off just for Mitch Unfiltered listeners. You just uh, type in the code MITCH10DB for that 10% off. We did it with you for Father's Day. It was really successful, and we're excited to do it for the holidays. And that code will be good through the end of the year. What's the cost of these mixers? They're 17 bucks before the discount. Okay, very good. So go to Amazon.com or go to QFC, but to get the discount, Go to Amazon.com, discount code, would you say, Mitch10DB, as in Daniel's Broiler, and you'll get 10% off of any mixer that you want. They're very, very popular. Daniel's Broiler mixers for the holiday season, a great stocking stuffer. We love Daniel's Broiler, world-class steakhouses. Unfiltered. Other Stuff segment, episode 172. Hotshot Scott, you start. What do you got over there? Captain Kirk was involved in an accident Tuesday in Studio City, which actually looked pretty bad from the damage done anyway. So William Shatner was driving his black Mercedes SUV while the other driver was in an Acura sedan. Luckily, neither Bill nor the woman appeared to be hurt. The 90-year-old actor... Should he be driving? The 90-year-old actor was quickly... I know. He was up and on his feet and over to the woman, making sure she was okay. And 
Traveling to and from space, no problem. Safely navigating the side streets in L.A., no can do, I guess, for William Shatner. Kind of made me laugh. He just came back from space, no problem, right? Yeah. Now he can't He's drive a down a 90. side street. He's a young 90, but you do ask yourself the question at 90. Yeah. And, and can he, there's probably people that could drive him, right? Is Everyone seems to be fine, yeah. yeah. Right. I don't know whose fault it was, but I was a little shocked to see 90 in driving. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Good luck. Yeah. <laughs> Going back to the NFL, you know, the Cardinals, the Arizona Cardinals were winning a lot of football games the entire year. They were, for the longest time, the number one seed in the NFC. And every time we talked about them, I said the same thing. I don't know. I'm just not buying it. I don't, okay. For whatever, I don't know that I ever could articulate why. I would, maybe because it's just they're the Arizona Cardinals. Yeah. But now, oh my God. <laughs> they, they have fallen into the, they have lost three in a row. They've lost five of their last eight. They can't beat the Detroit Lions. They couldn't beat the Colts at home on whatever it was, Saturday night. And all of a yeah. sudden, the number one seed, the team that was going to get the bye in the NFC, has just absolutely nosedived in the NFC. And you figure now the Rams are going to win the NFC West, just like they were supposed to. The Cardinals are probably back in as a playoff team, and the Cardinals will be out before you can say whatever. Kyler Murray. Amazing how they could turn around and, and flop so quickly in the NFL. Misery team. loves company, and I'm loving it. You are? <laughs> I'm loving it. Of course I'm loving it. Yes. As a Seahawks fan, yes, oh I'm, I'm loving yeah. watching the uh, spiral. Speaking of Kyler Murray, did you see what he did for his old lineman? It's pretty nice. He I saw the, the golf bags. Yeah, I saw the golf yeah. bags. Yeah. Yeah, better than isotoners, I guess, that Dan Marino used to buy for his lineman. But <laughs> yeah, he partnered with True Spec Golf to give him each a custom golf bag and custom clubs, which yes. is very nice. Yes. And it featured the old lineman's name and number complete with 13 clubs. Yeah. They uh, they say about $5,000 a bag. So Ooh. good for Kyler. For, yeah. Really? <laughs> That's a couple bucks. Yeah. Well, he's well, got you know, it has, it's 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 autographed, you know, not autographed, but it's monogrammed. It's got the clubs in it. They're but very yeah, nice. Five, five grand. That was I very nice of Kyler Murray. My favorite NFL story of the week this week, Hot Shot involves the general manager of the 49. If I asked you who the general manager of the San Francisco 49ers is, could you answer if it was a stump the band question? Was it at one time John Lynch? It still is. Oh, it is. Okay. He's the GM and I think president of the San He's the man in charge of personnel. Personnel matters for the San Francisco 49. Well, you know that on, I believe, Thursday night, last Thursday night, the 49ers went on the road to Tennessee to face the Titans. Okay. And came back with a loss. The Titans won and the Niners lost. And Jimmy Garoppolo was not very good. And everybody in 49er land was doing exactly what you would expect him to do in social media, which was blasting Jimmy Garoppolo. Okay. Garopp I guess it's Garoppolo. Yeah. And one Twitter guy said, you ought to leave. Hey, 49ers, you ought to leave Jimmy G in Nashville where the game was. <laughs> right. John Lynch, the GM, liked that tweet. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> really? You ought to Does leave it... Jimmy G in Nashville, and John Lynch likes the tweet and then Does... realizes that he liked the tweet and has to send out an apology. <laughs> I accidentally and unknowingly yeah. oh, sure. from a church service. <laughs> I, can't, I can't make these up. You can't right. make these up. From a church service, liked a tweet that I do not endorse. I am a still a huge believer in Jimmy Garoppolo, and I just want everybody to know that I'm sorry that my I, I inadvertently tapped like on a tweet that I didn't right. mean to. 
Oh my yeah, god. Have you ever have you ever liked a tweet that you didn't mean to? Uh no. I've I'm very careful about what I do and don't yeah. like because I happen to know that Twitter is not just on my phone. It's public. So everybody <laughs> can see what the hell's going on, John. Maybe he thought it was just on his oh, phone. God. But I I, oh, I love that god. it was from a church service. From as a if church we're gonna service. Go, oh well, I mean Oh well then yeah. What, what are you gonna do? He seems like a great guy then. Yeah. Definitely a mistake. Now the you're, you're in a church in. service. Are you reading? Does this mean that he was, <laughs> is he admitting to reading Twitter in a church service yeah. and by accident liking something? Or is he saying, okay, the phone was in my pocket. I didn't even know that I was on Twitter during a church service. And uh, then I, I must've brushed the like button while it was in my pocket, put away or something like that. What is, what is exactly he's saying there? Do you think it's a focaccia excuse? It's, it's all it is. All right. It's nonsense. Well, I can no, tell I, you that I have liked a lot of things that I didn't mean to like, and they're just nothing like objectionable, just like nondescript things. I'll be, I'll be, I'll be uh, scrolling through Twitter and my finger will hit a like button on just like a random tweet. And then, oh, I, yeah. and then I unlike it. I hit it again yeah. and it goes away. <laughs> I, that's right. I do that too. Yeah, hit yeah, it again, it goes you away. have to use your finger to, at some point to, Look at stuff. So, yeah, right. it's yeah. Sometimes you can tap the little heart. Sometimes I tap the little heart and I didn't mean to. But anyway, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, there's my the favorite God, NFL hilarious. story of the week. And by the way, I think his a football life just aired, John Lynch. I didn't even oh, know he was a great player. Oh, he's a great yeah. player. Yeah. yeah, yeah, he was. Yeah. Yeah. Gross scene at the Idaho Potato Bowl on Uh-oh. Tuesday. Uh-oh. I don't know if you're watching this. A Kent State offensive lineman got so sick during the game, he puked all over the field and he Ooh. got flagged for it. No, he didn't. False start. <laughs> For throwing up the poor guy. And to his credit, he stayed in the game and seemed to play pretty well and was a good sport afterward, tweeting, puke and rally. Appreciate oh, the shout out. <laughs> Something tells me he said that at a party uh, a time or two in his life. Oh, puke and rally. God. He got a false start for it, poor guy. Puking. <laughs> yeah, Congratulations puking. are in order to young Joey Burrow. Did you see what he did on Sunday, Hotshot Scott? I did not. Tell me. Well, the Cincinnati Bengals quarterback. Cincinnati Bengals beat the the Baltimore Ravens handily in Cincinnati. You know that Baltimore is ravaged by COVID-19. No Lamar Jackson. Uh, their second string quarterback is out. They were down to their third string. Normally when third string quarterbacks play Seattle Seahawks fans, they don't do well. Oh yeah. Okay, Except here when the bears bring <laughs> theirs in um, right. Joey Burrow against the, uh, the rival Baltimore Ravens, the divisional rival. How about 525 yards and four touchdowns? Ooh. Wow. Not a lot Not of guys in NFL history have thrown for five Hundred yards in a game, and Joey Burrow did it on Sunday afternoon against the Ravens. So there you go. And I'm sure some of those people who have thrown for 500, it was probably like you know double overtime, right? Or, right. You know, it is the longer the game goes, the more yards you go. Wow, that's really impressive. He had 299 at halftime and ended with 525. So pretty mm. good first half, pretty good second half, pretty good game for young second year quarterback Joe Burrow. I think they got a good one in him. Yeah, oh. I'm, I'm I'm buying Joe Burrow. I'm stock. buying too. I'm buying too. <laughs> Did you see all the the Wheel of Fortune craziness these past few days? No. Okay, so a woman named Charlene made it to the final round, and she caught a nice... You know in the final round, they just give you R-S-T-L-N-E now, and then you guess four letters. Anyway, it nearly nearly filled out the entire puzzle. Is there something about an Audi? You are correct. Okay, go ahead. I don't know know the story, but I know there's something about an Audi. Go ahead. So the winning phrase was choosing the right word, not to be confusing, but that that, that was the winning puzzle. Okay. Choosing the right word. She first guessed choosing the right card. And he said, no, it's not that. So she looked at it and she said, "Uh, oh, word. 
And the place erupted because she said word. And but she so, didn't say choosing the right word. She just said word. You, like Pat, Pat Sajak, are a stickler <laughs> for the rules. And Pat had to deliver that exact no. news to her. Oh, no. And she missed out on a brand new Audi Q3, which oh. is like a little small SUV. They're pretty cool cars. Oh. But to the rescue comes Audi, who saw all this on Twitter. They stepped in and they gifted Charlene a brand new Audi Q3 for the holidays. There you go, Audi. Nice job. Yes. Love that story. And Pat Sajak. In your face. Can't trust him as far as you can throw him. (laughs) She also got to keep the ceramic Dalmatians she won earlier in the game. Okay, you're you're our musical. You're our resident musical expert. Yes. So answer me this, because I've always wondered this, and I have a story to piggyback with it. When somebody has a hit song, what kind of money do they do better depending upon how 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 big of a hit the song is? How does it work? How does the financial ramifications Ooh. of a hit song work? Do you have any idea how that works? Well, I know it's different now with all the streaming services. For instance, like on Spotify, if your song gets played, I think you get like a fraction of a penny. Mm-hmm. But if you get, you know, a million a million streams that can add up a little bit. So I don't know exactly how the, I've always been kind of fascinated by how the royalties to a song work. Cause it used to be radio spins and then uh sound scan. Cause when you, you know, when you buy an album at a store, it gets scanned and that goes into a system. Well, That's how they keep track of well, record it, sales. But is, I don't know. Is there a most successful song of all time? Like, yeah, I think like it's white we, Christmas. We, it is. Yeah. I think Bing Crosby's white Christmas is, is by the most far successful. Okay. So yeah. I would imagine his estate Keeps piling every time it's played. His estate gets something. Yeah. So they're making lots and lots of. Well, I read an article about a song called All I Want for Christmas by Mariah Carey that she did in 1994. We all know that song, right? It's played over and over and over again during the holidays. I've decided I don't need any Christmas songs that were made post 95. And I'm going to I'm just because I want to lump hers in. We, we can lump her in with the classics. Okay. So you but like I, hers. after that, I, I don't need everyone's take on Jingle Bells. We're good. I See, I we like have enough Christmas stuff. songs. See, I okay. like that stuff. I like everybody's right. reading. But <laughs> I was reading a Forbes magazine article on that particular song that she recorded in 1994. Did you know that she averages $2.6 million a year on that song alone? <laughs> She's uh, not apparently she's not re-recorded it, but just from the original recording yeah. of the song, 1994, 27 years, she has made $72 million so far Jeez. on just the one song. And she will, it's estimated by Forbes magazine, she will bring in 2.6 million every year. And after she's gone, 2.6 million to her family and her estate on that one song alone. So I was wondering if that's pretty good. That's why I was asking all the questions. Yeah, I would say that that's pretty good, especially nowadays with the stream. I mean, I've heard they don't get much from the streaming services, so the fact that someone can still make that kind of money on a song one wrote song. 27 years ago. Yeah. It's a damn good song. <laughs> to be fair, it's a good song. It's a really good song. <laughs> I'm just happy song. she's able to make a couple bucks, Mariah Carey. About Jesus. time. Good for her. I know. God. Her net worth, I don't even want to know what it is. Well, Crazy. it's, it's 2.6 million more every year. That I <laughs> yes, know. Yes, it is. Doesn't that's all for I doing, got. For doing nothing. 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 Yeah, that's right. Nothing. Ah, good yeah. to be her. Yeah. All right. Yeah, I know you don't care about the latest Spider-Man installment, but it gave Sony the biggest December opening weekend ever, this new Spider-Man my, movie. My, my son, Max, has seen it not once. Oh, boy. Not twice. Oh, boy. But three times. Well, now I get it. 
because it's about to cross the billion dollar mark worldwide. It's a big deal because no other film released during the pandemic came even close. And although the industry had only produced four billion dollars in box office receipts compared with 11 billion in 2019, Spider-Man's responsible for a quarter of the total haul, which is pretty damn impressive. And by the way, it's the fifth movie starring this guy, the fifth one that's crossed the billion dollar levels. Really? Yeah. Good well, for him. Max, he's, Max, he's in the Avengers and all that, you know. Max finds a friend uh. that hasn't seen it and says, "Let's go," and he keeps taking <laughs> yeah. him. He well, now you see, I, I see why it's yeah. doing so well. That now, they're, going, you, they're not just going once. Have you been back to the theater since the pandemic? Uh, let me think. I have I think, not. I think we went once. Maybe like uh, I think it was this past summer we went. I want to say really. Okay. Yeah. And yeah, we yeah I have to wear a mask. I think still, or at least you did then and. Yeah. 2019, yeah, I think. I think 2019 is the last time we've been to a theater. And uh, so I don't have any intentions of going to Spider-Man. So there's yeah, that. No, you don't. Now, Max <laughs> wants me to go see the Kurt Warner story. Oh, yeah. yeah. But you're not feeling that either. No. <laughs> what do you like? What, a Tiger Woods documentary? Is that all that's going to get you off the couch? Like, what the hell do you even want to watch? Um... That's a good question. Yeah, I know. It's like the, you don't like Game of Thrones. No, you don't like the, the, you don't like the documentary stuff. No, I suggest. well, some documentaries I like, but the, some of the ones that you suggest are a little yeah. slow out of the gate. They they they, yeah. they they creep along for me. Yeah, you're a tough customer. I guess I you're am. Not, you're not into superhero shit. No, you know, you know, absolutely see? not. No sports uh, movies. No. Yeah, no. <laughs> sports movies. Right, the guy does a sports show for 25 no, years. Can't be bothered not. with sports movies. Absolutely not. <laughs> All right. Did you see Colts running back Naheem Hines, his cleats that he that he brought out during that that Christmas game? I have not. They were, pre- they were pretty awesome. Each cleat covered was covered with a crazy amount of green fur, just like the Grinch and also had the Grinch's evil grin on the side. They were like the coolest cleats, I think, that have ever been made. But I'm assuming they were only for pregame because the NFL would not stand for that. Right. I, like there's no way no. he's wearing green there's like, cleats. <laughs> there's like one week a year. Oh, is that, I didn't can, even know that. Yes. There's one week a year where you can go crazy on your cleats for a charity oh. or something. Then you give away your, your cleats for charity. Yes, you can you can promote a cause or something. But yes, for the most part, yeah, he would never get away with that. He would have no. to. Yeah, he probably changed into some other regular shoes that weren't as interesting for the game. I would think yeah, they yeah. they were yeah. pretty awesome. Yeah. All right. I have, yeah. Do you have any RIPs or anything? I don't. Left? I'm done. I'm out. Arch. I got an RIP for Archbishop Desmond Tutu. Oh, he was a leader in the anti-apartheid sure. movement in South Africa. He passed away. Wow. Um, if you don't know who Desmond Tutu is, just go read about him for yourself. A pretty impressive man. He was recognized worldwide for his efforts, winning a Nobel Peace Prize, among yeah. many other honors. Uh, Wanda Young, she was one of the remaining members of the Marvelettes. Now, you might know oh. their song, Please, Mr. Postman sure. from 1961, sure. which became the number one song in the land. Please, Mr. Postman. Look at you doing a little Casey Kasem. <laughs> she survived by her three children, seven grandchildren, and a great-grandchild, plus brothers and sisters. She was 78, Wanda Young of the Marvelettes. And then I, I, I probably should have started with this one because this is just brutally sad, but the kid Robbie Roper, the 18-year-old oh, star high school quarterback. Yes. Holy Lord. Yeah, oh. from the 2022 class in Georgia. Tragically died on Wednesday after complications from a routine surgery. We I don't think it know. Was a shoulder surgery, oh, maybe. Oh, but it was called a routine surgery. Nothing to make you say, "Well, this is going to be very risky." If he goes into this, you know, getting put under anesthesia at eighteen. Horrible he, news. 6'4", 215 pound QB led his team to a ten and three record. Was Georgia's Region Five Class Seven A Player of the Year, a three nine GPA, wow. and was being courted by so Florida sad. by the Florida Gators. 18 years so old. Rest in peace sad. to Robbie Roper. So sad. Yeah. 
18. How do you segue right. from that to a last story there, Hotshot? Yeah, I know. That's going to, I should have started with that, huh? <laughs> See if I have anything else I can uh, use as a buffer. All right. I got some headlines for you. A professor okay. at a Japanese university unveiled his latest innovation a TV with a screen the viewer can taste. Homei Miyashita, an associate producer in the School of Science and Technology at Mayhe University, said, I'm thinking of making a platform where tastes from all over the world can be distributed as taste content. You literally would lick the screen. It's the same as watching a movie or listening to a song you like. To which I say, okay, professor, save it for your wife, big boy. I think we all know where you're heading with this, all right? <laughs> Calm down there, guy. Okay. Uh, all right. A, a Northern Ireland man's message in a bottle was found nearly 23 years after throwing it in the water. Executives at Verizon are stunned at how quickly and effectively the man was able to send a message. An NYPD lieutenant has been reassigned. Why did, after- I, have the, why did I have the theme from I Dream of Genie when you said he threw it into the water? And I was thinking, I don't know why yeah. I had that theme in my head when you said the guy threw the bottle in the water. Go ahead. Uh, let's see here. An NYPD lieutenant has been reassigned after receiving a lap dance from a female rookie cop. Oh. You can watch this video for yourself. Not oh. good. She was caught on video giving the lap dance to the still married lieutenant, also known as her boss, at their holiday party. Details are still emerging, but it doesn't appear either of them will do any hard time. A Russian yoga teacher has been arrested <laughs> for illegal missionary activity uh, under con- a controversial new law designed to head combat out of the gutter. Would you please to combat terrorism? <laughs> The teacher was simply giving a talk about the philosophy of yoga in Russia at a festival before being arrested. Now I'm wondering if the U.S. could adopt this law for people who talk about CrossFit. They love talking about CrossFit. I don't Trust know. Me on that. What, what's the CrossFit? Right. Oh, God. People who CrossFit can't stop talking about really? it. Really? Somebody out there, I think, will agree with me, I hope. Or maybe I didn't it's get just that me. one. CrossFit, right. huh? And finally, Jets rookie quarterback Zach Wilson surprised his waitress at the Ritz Diner with two tickets to the Jets game. The waitress was very emotional and in tears, and oh. could, she could be heard saying, <laughs> tickets? It's the holidays. I need cash. Jesus. Oh, that was Tickets to the Jets game. That was served up on a silver yeah. platter for you. Uh, now, be, be, before people tweet me, I did watch the video, and her son is an enormous Jets fan. And she was in tears and he, she, he was in tears and it was a very sweet Aww. gesture by Zach Wilson. So it's just a joke, everybody. It was a very nice thing for him to do. There you go. Yes. Who was it? It was uh, Dick Sargent, but there was another one. Well, too, Larry right? Hagman. See, see, here's the thing. Larry Hagman was the star of that show, right? <laughs> what? Larry Hagman? Yeah. He was on I Dream of Genie. Oh, maybe I'm thinking of Bewitched. Oh, you're thinking of Bewitched. Oh, my God. There were two. Wasn't That's Larry right. Hagman in in, uh, in I Dream of Genie? Wasn't he? What? He master? Master was was Larry Hagman. Check it out. And, yeah. I, and I've always said that Larry Hagman, when you take a look at his two prominent television roles and think about the differences in the characters that he played. Now, you, do you remember I Dream of Genie? You, you don't even know. You know I, I, Ish. See, no, go on, go on. Nah, nah, it's gonna fall. Yeah. <laughs> As if it hasn't. Me okay. talking about the 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 Dick York, uh, Dick, Dick Sargent York. debacle yes. that happened with yes. Bewitched. Yes, yeah. yes. Anyway, Larry Hagman's two roles: the I Dream of Genie role and J.R. Ewing. Yeah. When you look at those two roles and how different they were, and how beautifully he played both of them, one of the yeah. great, one of the great television actors of 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 his lifetime, Larry Hagman. J.R. Ewing and there you go. and Master on I Dream of Genie, which yeah, did, why I even brought it up, I don't even know. People could have, yeah. we could have ended the show five minutes ago and people would have been better off. See? It's pretty cool how back in the day networks would go like, oh wait, they're they're doing a show about a genie? We got to do a show about a genie. The <laughs> fact that there were two and then like 
Same with like the Munsters and the Adams Family. Two shows about monsters that came out like two weeks apart, literally. What was her name? Elizabeth Montgomery from Bewitched? Yes. Elizabeth Montgomery. Look at you. Nice job. Yes, yes. That's right. Showing my age. That's it. Hey, happy, a happy New Year to the Sodens. What are you doing for the uh, for the New Year's? Anything, anything special? Or just kind of hanging out. Probably just going to hang out. No okay. real plans yet. We'll see how okay. everyone's doing with health and all that by then. Well, happy, happy and healthy New Year to you guys. Same to you guys. Happy New Year and healthy New Year to all of our listeners. And thank you for being a part of Mitch Unfiltered over the last three years. For those of you that are patrons, and a, a special thank you to you guys. But everybody who has supported this little podcast, I know some of them are good, some of them are not so good. But, hey, we try our best. We try hard. <laughs> We try to limit the uh, the Dick York and Dick Sargent talk as yes, much as we can. the Larry Hagman it's, talk, yeah. It's yeah. A, a, every, a, every other episode is Larry Hagman. Not every episode. Just every other one we talk about Larry Hagman. Very good. Episode yeah, yeah. 172 <laughs> of Mitch Unfiltered is now in the books.